tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Good morning. Welcome along to Tip Today on this Monday morning. 1800 938 007, our free phone number. Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on this morning's show, uh, lots of listeners uh, reacting to various different topics this morning. And we continue with that debate about whether we should stop referring to God as he and uh, possibly should it be a general, uh, a gender neutral reference. Uh, global politics with Thomas Conway. We have uh, weekend sports review with our own Paul Carroll. It is World Epilepsy Day and uh, 100 years of drama in Clock Jordan. We'll be speaking to the great Bonnie Hayes there towards the end of uh, the programme. You can text in WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Look at the headlines today. To the Irish Independent, first of all, and uh, their banner headline revealed the Garda stations without one full-time officer. Almost quarter of Garda stations had fewer officers to tackle crime at the start of this year compared with 12 months earlier, while 42 stations have no permanent Garda attached to them. Now, if you read the story inside, there is certainly... Uh, quite a few references uh, to uh, Tipperary. For instance, stations where there's been a sharp reduction in Garda numbers since 2013 include uh, Carrick and Shure. Carrick and Shure is down uh, 29%. Uh, over the last uh, 10 years and uh, that's that's uh, really, really uh, incredible. And also the latest figures showing the total number of Garda stations that no longer have a dedicated uh, member attached to them. It rose from 35 to uh, 42 last year, including six in the county Tipperary. And also the fact that uh, Boris Lee lost a permanent Garda as well is mentioned in the piece. So it's very, very serious news there. I'm sure you will agree. To the Irish Examiner, and they're telling us that the next doll is to have up to 20 extra TDs. The next doll will have either 18 or 20 additional TDs under plans to uh, be rushed through the Oireachtas uh, before the summer recess. That's according to the examiner uh, today. And the uh, picture dominating the front of the examiner is Rory O'Neill, uh, or Panty Bliss, whichever you, f- you feel like, um, along with uh, Denny Sampson there during the Dancing with the Stars. And Rory dedicated the dance to the medic who first treated him for HIV 27 years ago and who warned him he might have 10 years to live. Um, To the Irish Times, coalition warned not to fuel anti-migrant narratives. Uh, The government uh, has been warned over its language in the politically charged debate about immigration with the Irish Refugee Council calling for an overhauled communications plan from the coalition. Also reading on the Times today, an internal investigation into Irish aid charity Gorta um, Self-Help Africa found senior staff in the organisation had lost all confidence in the management of the organisation and upheld multiple complaints last year against its then chief executive. The Irish Daily Mail, uh, they're telling us that speculation has hardened that the government is planning an extra child benefit payment, despite Leo Varadkar declaring yesterday he did not want to fly kites on the issues. And that's a quick peek at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. If you want to comment 
on any of that. And we will be speaking about the Garda situation later on in the programme. But anything else, 83 311 Sean's Shindig 2023 in memory of Sean Doran is happening this coming Saturday the 18th of Feb and it's starting at half past five in Hickey's Pub in Thurles. It's a great lineup, and I'll tell you about that in just a little while. But I'm delighted to be joined now by Sean's dad, James Doran. Uh, good morning to you, James. Morning, Trent. And thanks, thanks very much indeed for coming on with us today. Um, would you remind us about Sean and tell us about Sean, James? I suppose, yeah, just to bring us back on Sean and the background of why we're having a shindig to, to remember our little son, Sean. Um, yesterday was actually his, his seventh anniversary of his passing. So every February we run an event uh, to, mem- to memor- in memory of our little boy, Sean. And uh, since the first year of his passing, so it's six years it's been running, um, we head to Hickey's Pub and Torless and some of the local bands get together to raise some much-needed funds for some of the charities that have helped us on our journey to date. Tell, tell me about Sean. When did you discover Sean's condition, James? Um, it was He was just uh, turning three at the time, and it just presented as like a, a pain in the stomach. So we couldn't get to the bottom of it for a long time, and we were in Clamwell Hospital for a couple of weeks before they were able to diagnose them with um, neuroblastoma, which is... Uh, Unfortunately, a deadly cancer, so we were shocked, really, and our world fell apart that day that, that we were told um, of our son's condition. And then the, the treatment started, I guess? Yeah, um, treatment started fairly straight away with Sean, and he was he was two years up and down the road to Crumlin, and with lots of twists and turns on that journey, and at certain points we thought that we might be in the clear or that things were looking good, but unfortunately for Sean, um, things just turned turned wrong, I suppose, or against us in the finish. It must have been absolutely dreadful. What 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 was his nature, James? What what was he like? Well, the reason we run a, a music event is because he was music mad. Um, everything he done was evolved around music, and music and tractors, I suppose, and farming That's, were his two big yes. things. So, when we got together and said, "What what can we do to keep his memory alive?" We said, "Music has to be to the forefront." Anyway. And a fantastic lineup of music as well, and we, we'll talk about that in a moment uh, too. Um, he passed away, I think, was it 2016? He, he passed away. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so seven seven years anniversary just yesterday as well. So, seven. Um, you, you had another little boy then, uh, Mikey. You have another little boy, correct, uh, yeah. Mikey. But but tell me about that because you got some some bad news as well. Yeah, I suppose after after Sean's passing, we were so worried. What are the chances of something like this happening again down the line? And the doctors were fairly quick to reassure us that it's it's a one in a million chance of something like this happening. But um, lightning struck twice, I suppose, when Mikey was 10, 10 weeks old and we found ourselves back in Crumlin again with a completely different type of cancer. They said the boat unrelated, but again, he was critical for the first for the first year of his life. He was critical, really. Um, I, I can't imagine what you both must have gone through. It's just and, and your extended families as well. Uh, Nicola was making the point that um, he's very like Sean. Oh, they're very like, yeah. Like even some of the photos we have there, me and Nicola still struggle to say, is that Sean or is that Mikey? And even the poster we have, um, Nicola got a fabulous poster made for for this coming Saturday. And I said, oh, 
that one was that one of Mikey there, isn't it? You know, that's that's John there, she said. So, you know, it's very hard to tell the two apart and they're really alike. Now he never got to meet his his brother, but is no. he aware about Sean and that? Oh, he speaks yeah. about Sean quite a lot. Does he? He yeah. visits the grave with us and he brings them birthday remembers and like in the yesterday he was up there with us, you know, so we speak about Sean a lot and we keep his memory alive and that's what this Saturday is about, really. And uh, what a day it's going to be, too. Can you that's tell us what the, the, the line-up is going to be, James, um, what the music... Yeah. Fantastic line-up of musicians uh, from Torless and surrounding areas. Um, the doors are going to be open at 5.30, I think, hmm. and we haven't a run an order at the minute, so I'd advise anyone that wants to come see any particular act to get in good and early because if the doors are closed... That's probably it then, you know, whatever time at full capacity, the doors will close. Yes. But um, kicking off the night anyway will be Davy White, who's a former member of Rebel Heart. Mm-hmm. And he's branched out on his own, singing a few songs, so he's going to open up. Um, Owen Ryan Anthony of the famous Eskin Lane mm-hmm. is going to sing. Our own family, the Dorns, which is fronted by my father, Tom Dorn, and his sons and his, my brother's wife, Norma, will sing. Uh, myself and Shawnee Mokler, called Shawnee and James, who will be playing, and also Strings and Things, a fantastic band who, stri- who travelled all over Ireland, Europe and America gigging. Um, they're really, really good. So I'd encourage anyone that's any interest in music to get down to Hickey's on Saturday as early as you can in the evening. Uh, it sounds wonderful. And that's Hickey's Pub in Thurles, of course. And proceeds going where, James? Um, well, sure, since we started... Uh, six years ago, we've had Clonmel Pediatrics, Avian's Pink Tie, the Gavin Glynn Foundation, Make-A-Wish Foundation. I think those are the four that we've raised a lot of money for so far. Mm. And those charities, I suppose, predominantly help families initially, I suppose, in, in the immediate. And this year we've chosen ones that help a bit down the line, I suppose, because Mikey is three years nearly free from cancer, thank God, at this point. So the first charity is the Little Blue Heroes. Um, they're a fully voluntary organisation who help families undergoing long-term medical treatments mm. and basically just allows children to interact with the local Garda station and get involved. And our little Mikey is actually an honorary guard. Two years ago, he's made an honorary guard. So Brilliant. it's really fantastic um, what they do. And again, as I said, it's fully fully voluntary. So they're relying on events like we're running, I suppose. Yes, of course they do. And Childhood Cancer Foundation Ireland, yes. that is the other recipient, is it? Um, yeah, well, they help both children and families affected by cancer. Mm. And again, it's funded and led by parents of children with cancer. So parents like ourselves who have suffered as well said, we need to put an organisation together and help these families the best we can. So some of the money there will go towards re- research and assistance to families. And also, um, Stephanie Nicola got married in the summer. Oh, congratulations. With, yeah, right. thanks a million. They provide us with lovely uh, gold ribbon lapels as wedding favours which was a really nice touch and when we went to pay for them they said no you've been throwing off and whatever and it's hard to even give back to these charities so at least we feel if we can raise an few pound this weekend we're giving something back Well it's going to be a great occasion it's this coming Saturday at Hickey's Pub in Thurless it's a great line up there it's half past five and entry fee there is 15 euro but 15 you get... euro which is great yeah. value I think for, for the sure. amount of bands and entertainment you're going to get on the night For sure And also there'll be a, a raffle on the night with local businesses are after us providing really really good spot prizes so I think a five or a line on the night and there's some excellent spot prizes to be got 
Very good indeed. Well, I, I wish you well, James, and uh, to Nicola Very and uh, to Mikey as well. And indeed, I know your dad, Tom, for many, many years. Uh, so I, I hope you have a fantastic day indeed. Thanks for talking to me, James. Thanks a million, Fran. Thank you. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Now, on Friday, we discussed uh, that Age Action has called on the GAA to scrap its policy of no longer accepting cash for tickets as some elderly people may struggle to purchase online. The Taoiseach uh, weighed into this and said it's important for any company to give people a choice and uh, the uh, controversy has uh, trundled over the weekend as well. One of our regular contributors, Peter, joins me now. Peter, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you today? I'm very well indeed. Good to talk to you, Peter. What are you making of this? Um, <clears throat> the cashless society is hitting us very quickly. Um, the GA are just another, just another um, crowd that are jumping on the bandwagon. I think it's um, it's really wrong. Mm. I think uh, the people they're hitting are the people that were their best supporters for the last 40, 50, 60 years. And um, it's wrong. And I don't even think it's legal that the GA or anyone else can refuse cash. Cash is a legal tender. Funnily and enough, I did a bit of research on that, Peter, mm-hmm. and like you, I was of the opinion it wasn't legal. But in fact, would you believe it is? Um, all that an organisation has to do is give notice that they will be cashless, and then it's acceptable. Yeah, I suppose. I, 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 that, I find that hard, but if you have this research mm, done, there's yeah. no reason not to believe you. Mm. Um, you know, to me... Um, if, if that's the case, mm. why, we might as well forget about cash. Right, but that doesn't make it right, of course, Peter. That no, 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 no. It right. it, yeah. if, and when you go inside the gate of the GA ground, and I'm not just picking on the GA on this one, anybody, mm. That, mm. Uh, if you go for a meal or go anywhere, that they won't take cash. But they're well prepared to sell you maybe a programme. For uh, cash. Like, for cash. <laughs> okay. Like, what's the, mm. what's the difference between taking five euro off of um, maybe an old age pensioner that had the gate? and sell them a programme for three or four. Oh, inside. that's inter- I didn't realise that. If you go in and if you get a programme, you pay cash for it, do well, you? Well, that's my understanding. Is it? Any time okay. I, I went in, I paid cash for the for the programme, yeah. Because you don't order the programme online. I saw one argument, though, over the weekend uh, that some elderly people were, you know, taking umbrage to this in some way and saying, look, you know, this presumption that just because we're over 60 or over 70 that we can't use um, online facilities is, you know, demeaning to us in some way. So what do you make of that argument? Yeah, that's that's fine for the people that are well up on it. Mm. And that's perfect. And the best to look to them. Mm. And there's younger people that might be much good at... um, technology and the rest of it, the same as all the people. That's mm. not my point at all. Mm. My point, there's several people that come to me telling me their stories about their tickets and all the rest of it. And one particular man, um, it was in Clanmel. He was at the gate in Clanmel and couldn't go into City's local parish play. So he was, he was an old age pensioner. Mm. So he rang his wife, but the wife couldn't help him. So she rang both the daughter and the son to book and even sorted out. Mm. The next thing, and 15 minutes later, he was at the paying twice because both the daughter and the son had all the oh, secret sheets. <laughs> so he yeah. got into the match after paying twice mm. uh, 15 minutes later. Oh, that's fair. It's, it's, it sounds very unfair, doesn't it? it? Why, why not have one stall? Mm. 
people that uh, want to give a little bit of cash that, you know, don't I hate to deal with it. Mm. Like, I know another chap I've been told about. He doesn't want to be bothering his kids or that. He wants to, maybe at 2 o'clock on a Sunday, God said, it's a lovely fine day, I'm going to hit horse to the field, and I'll watch the match. But first of all, he has to ring someone. They have to go and get tickets. Then they'd have to be sent back to his phone or somewhere, their ticket. And all it is, so he just said, I wouldn't bother going. And outside of the GAA, Peter, do you think, is there a big drive on now to be cashless, do you think? Oh, big time. Yeah. Big time. Um, like, it's all now um, IBAC and and, and, and and BIC and all this mm. stuff. Like, mm. you, you know, first of all, you'd be wondering what people were on about or where they were going. <laughs> but uh, then you'd realise that um, it's all controlled, man. Yeah, one one of the larger gar- I I like to deal quite a bit in cash now. I have to mm. admit, but one of the larger garages that I go to um, to get diesel, mm. um, if you don't give them a perfect note, it, whatever sort of a system they have, it won't it won't go into this this machine. So then they'll say to you, "Well, look, could you pay? Could you pay by I card can't. because because this isn't working out for us?" It, so it, it, it's just another. It's just another. It's more technology. It's a more way of getting rid of getting rid of cash, like. If you go in, if you go into um, to some garages, like, it's nearly impossible to stop a petrol pump on exactly. I know. The figure. I know. Yeah. So it'll always either it you'll have to stay under, or else it'll go over mm. by one or mm. two um, cents or whatever. But you know, I was often wondering about that. It is almost impossible to stop yes. dead on the thing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. it, it Kind of, you really have to push, and often I try it now for the crack. Yeah, I know, me and, too. And yeah. it's 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 a it's a fair challenge to get it stopped exactly. And, uh, and what and do you think is behind it. that? Uh, I, I don't know. Is technology as good as we're making it out to be? Like, mm. if you pay by card, if you put the card into the machine, mm. with with um, twenty cents or thirty cents to go, the machine cuts down a level and it only fills very slow and it's willing to stop on perfectly on the, the number. On, yes. on the number. Yes. So it's like some people, all the shopkeepers, a lot of them lose out because they will never say, Ah come on, look, you owe us four cents That's or three right. cents or whatever. Mm. Yeah. But somebody was only telling me all the weekend, like if it goes to fifty if he goes in with, with um, a 50 euro to buy diesel and this thing pops to 50, 50 euros, three or four cents, mm. then he has to turn around and pay by cab because he won't need a 50 euro on him. Yeah, it's, all, know, it's, 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 it's amazing all, the way it's gone, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's all controlled. I, I don't know why, if you're paying cash, that you can't, at the pumps, uh, you know, type in 50, you yeah. know, and, and for yeah. it to stop dead on the 50, which, as you say, it's able to do if you're using a card. Yeah, totally, because... Sometimes, like, it would certainly go over, um, maybe to 20 cents, and then you say, at the hell with it, I'll turn another tenner. But <laughs> by the time you're the tenner, then you're probably out of forgetting again, and it's done another 10 cents. <laughs> so, so it's, uh, I know. And it's, do, you, do you see a conspiracy in this somewhere, that it, it, uh, it ends up giving more money to the... I don't know. I don't, early Monday morning, I probably see a conspiracy in Everton. <laughs> <laughs> no. me, me too, Peter. Me too. <laughs> yeah. All right, Peter. Really good to talk to you. Actually, uh, one, of, one of our listeners yeah. on to say that they were at yeah. the tip match yesterday, Peter, and they were yeah. able to buy a programme at the gate for cash, um, yeah. but had yeah. to had to buy the tickets online, and somebody yeah, wondered, where's and the sense in that? Yeah, yeah and, and um, 
as it was for man, I would like to wish Tip well yesterday. I watched the game and I thought they really done well and uh, in the holding yesterday. But they did uh, great. Yeah. And I think was it twenty five uh, years since they won in in Nolan Park? Two thousand and eight since they won in Nolan Park. My God. Yeah, but yeah. Was, they were really up for it. It was like championship stuff at a stage there yesterday. It was, it was Very good. Well, well, for a Waterford man to say that, we will <laughs> yeah, we yeah. will embrace that. Lovely, Peter, lovely, lovely. Good. Thanks, Peter. Take Thank you. Bye bye to you now. Bye bye. That's uh, Peter speaking to us there about that uh, controversy that uh, trundles on about cash uh, versus uh, card. Now, last week we spoke about the Church of England, who is uh, considering whether to stop uh, referring to God as He after priests asked to be allowed to use gender-neutral terms instead. Now, the topic, by the way, has been discussed by those who follow the Christian faith uh, for many years and has been explored currently by two commissions in a new joint uh, project there. But again, uh, this uh, controversy has trundled on over the weekend and Catherine was in touch and she joins me now. Catherine, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you doing? I'm very well indeed, Catherine. What do you make of that uh, a general neutral, a gender-neutral uh, reference to God? Well, you know, Fran, when Emma contacted me during the week to talk about this, I thought, nah. But then I thought again, all it takes for evil to flourish is people say nothing. Mm. You know, and uh, I think this is a step too far, taking on God. I mean, the disciples asked him, how should we pray? He gave him an example, our Father who art in heaven. So I think the take on God is very, very foolish. And that's referenced, as you described it to me, there in the Bible, Catherine, is Correct. it? Correct. Okay. In Luke 11.2. Luke 11.2. Right. And and did that come directly from Jesus Christ? It did indeed, yes. The, okay. word, the, the Bible, all inspiration is given by inspiration of God. Right. And I know that theologians over many decades, if not centuries indeed, have sort of, you know, discussed and maybe come to the, to the conclusion that God, as we know it, is gender neutral in some way, that it it, it is neither male or female. Um, what do you say to that, Catherine? Well, why does God say at the beginning, let us make man in our image? Man? What is man? Male. Well, man could be mankind, which is both male yeah, and Yeah, well, female. mankind is a general term, but it includes male and female. It's a general term. Yes. And yes. could I put one other thing to you, Catherine, which is what Father mm-hmm. Iggy said to me uh, last week. He said that, you know, these terms were reflective of a time and a place and that we've moved on possibly from that now. Well, you know, I would answer that by by saying in, in Scripture, uh, Jesus said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Forever means forever. God is outside of time. Right. So it's foolish for any man to go, as it says in Revelation, do not add and do not take from the words of this book. Right. And as a woman, Catherine, you have no issue with this, do you? issue with the word of God and I think anyone that does is very foolish. Okay. Right. And the the Church of England, I mean clerics within the Church of England are calling for this. They're they're obviously yeah. reflecting what they're hearing from their parishioners. Yeah, again, Fran, I go by the Bible. Uh, Jesus said it's better to obey God rather than to trust in man. 
Right. So I will have the word of God any day over any man, regardless of his status. And you've told me in the past, Catherine, that you've bypassed the word of man, essentially, and you always return to Scripture. I will. You mean you can't trust man in general. Let God be true and every man a liar. God is the ultimate authority. And, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure about Catholicism, but the, it's possible that this may become part of the Church of England now. So do you see that as something that just is maybe... I think, then we shouldn't look to England. We should follow our own, you know, follow the Word of God. It, it's a compass for life. Yeah. You know, so as it says, in Hebrews 13, it says, I am the same yesterday, today and forever. Right. And do you think, would it hurt that instead of making reference to the Father, that we make reference to love, for example? Love in, in, in the large sense, you know, that... W- it would, Fran. I mean, you'll be listening God, love. We know God is love, but he's also holy. You know, we hear all about this lovey-dovey, us too. You know, but God is holy. Mm. That's all that's left out. Right. And that's that's enough as far as you're concerned. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. There's one other thing, and you might be able to give me a reference in the Bible to this, but it it always sort of concerned me a little bit, is this notion that we have to go to the Holy Mother to intercede with God on our behalf. And the impression given there is this God is a kind of a grumpy kind of individual, and unless a woman went in there with a softness to to change his mind on something, is... What what do you make of that? I'll give you a scripture, First Timothy two five. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Mary can do nothing for you. When the wedding was at Cana, she went to Jesus. You're probably familiar with that. Yes, sure. And he said, Lord, we have no wine. No, he wasn't being disrespectful. He says, Woman, what have I to do with you? That was the terminology back then, woman. Well, what did he mean so, by that? He just said his hour hadn't yet come for... She was trying to push him along, being a mother, obviously. Mm. But his hour hadn't come to do miracles. So she went to the people and she said, do what he tells you to do. You know? So, therefore, Jesus is the ultimate authority. Right. And why would we need the Holy Mother to intercede on our behalf with a God that is supposed to be all-knowing and all-loving? No, we don't need Mary. Mary didn't hang on the cross for your friend. Jesus did. Right. You know, but so it people... is, isn't that very a very important part of Catholicism, like where we ask for Mary to intercede on our behalf? Yeah, but why are we going by an institution, Fran? Why not follow God? Why follow an institution? Right, and there's no reference to that in, in the Bible, you're telling me, No, Catherine. there's one oh. mediator. That means a go-between. Jesus is bridge to God. No man comes to Father but by me, Jesus. Right. So that's that's a nonsense as far as you're concerned. Uh, utter rubbish, and it's actually taken on God Almighty. Right. And do you know the the way that particularly Irish people are have a great reverence for the the Rosary and the like? Um, how how do you feel yeah. about that? Is there reference in the Bible to that? It says, let there be no vain repetition of anything. And the first commandment is, I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not have strange... Now, strange God is anything or anyone you put before God. So they're breaking the first commandment straight away. With the rosary? 
with the rosary, he said, my glory will I not give to another. You're not to pray to anybody but God. But at every funeral, as you know, Catherine... They... Oh, tell me about it, I know. And that concerns you, does it? It does, Fran, because you're taking the glory away from God. And, and where did all of that come from, then, as far as you're concerned? It came from Rome, Fran. It crept into Rome in, I think, it was 67 AD, when all religions kind of came together. And we're going back to that again. And they all each brought in their own kind of heretic beliefs, if you like. Mm. And it's all accumulated over the centuries. I'm fascinated by that because, as you know, I mean, you know, in the last yeah. generations, families would have got down on their knees and said the rosary on a, a, an empty basis. I did it basis. myself, Fran, until I became aware. Right. I did it myself, always. You, you would have said the rosary and... Oh, absolutely. 100%, yes. Right. Yeah. Fascinating conversation, Catherine, that's for sure. And uh, good to talk yes, to you and, and look after yourself, Catherine. Keep reading the word, Fran. God bless. Uh, all right. Thanks, Catherine. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know, that's uh, Catherine speaking. How do you feel about that? Um, 1800 938 007. Uh, you can text and WhatsApp 0833 11 uh, Listener says cashless is another form of control of the population, although it can be convenient, but be careful of giving away your freedom on how you purchase as it's big marketing, big money involved to know what you buy, what you buy so they can bombard you with uh, advertising. Do you know, it's very strange that you say that because it, it just brings back a memory of, of over the weekend. I was talking to a fantastic friend of mine on Friday. And he spoke to me about a guitar and a guitar make that I had never, ever heard of. Never heard of. Um, this gentleman himself is not on Facebook. Uh, I didn't search about the guitar. I didn't search the make. I didn't do anything. All over the weekend, I am bombarded with information about this particular make of guitar, which I find really, really, really incredible. I'm not sure what that says, but I find it just uh, incredible and too much of uh, a coincidence. But there you are. Um, another listener says, God has gender. Why call it the Our Father, it says here. Fran, would you ask that lady, should we not pray to saints? I certainly will next time that uh, I'm speaking to her. Um, the GA don't want, want cash as it's too loose. Too many people handling it is open to abuse. That's the reason... Uh, as one style open for cash wouldn't work, uh, says uh, Mick. And uh, somebody else repeating to us as well that notion that you can buy your programme for cash, but you have to book your tickets online. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tom was on to us from Dundrum and he says, Good morning, Fran. As time goes on, I find myself uh, simply regarding God as a superior being. We were brought up to believe that he's a man, but I suppose it doesn't matter and it doesn't make any difference how we perceive his gender. There's a very good point. There's a very good point. Does it matter how we perceive God? I mean, we might just perceive God as love or God as an entity or God as gender 
neutral, but we also might just perceive him as man or indeed as woman. Does it matter, I wonder? 083 311 I was telling you at the top of uh, the programme that the Indo has, um, well, they've dedicated about three pages to it uh, today, that Garda stations without uh, one full-time officer, and they go into uh, details, and they speak about stations where there's been a sharp reduction in Garda numbers since 2013, and one station is Carrick and Shore. In that space of time, about 10 years, um, there's a drop of 29% of a guardy in Carrick and Shore. Now, a local activist in Carrick and Shore is Eddie Reid, who joins me now. Eddie, good morning to you. Morning, Fred. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Last time you and I spoke, we, we made reference, well, you made reference uh, to this and your concerns about this. When you see it in black and white today, Eddie, what are you making of this? Um, look, it's, it's just, it's common knowledge around Carrick. Um, there's no, it's no breaking story around here. I mean, we were speaking about the last time, I mean, it was actually about I brought up Pat Kelly's retirement mm. and going through the figures on the Independent this morning you can see the amount of guard are just serving their time and getting out, of retir- getting out of once their time is done rather than that retirement age which was a, a, a novelty of apparently that going by the statistics they normally stayed on until retirement age Yes, but more Why and more guardie are finding more, it more, unattractive more. to stay in there Absolutely, of course they are I mean you can see I presume you could see why there. Yeah, of course, Eddie. I presume that in the last ten years, the population of Carrick would have increased. It's gone by about two percent a year. Yeah. Right. Okay. And to have twenty nine percent less guardie than ten years ago, then I mean, that's that's uh, problematic to say it's the very least. Mind boggling. Okay, especially when you you consider the generation that are coming up now. Sadly, yeah. it's, it's the small minority even that have no respect for authority. I mean, I, I, growing up, I was no great friend of the guard, even for political reasons. But there was a line there, you didn't cross them, and you didn't spit in Garda's face, you didn't stand around shouting abuse to them or threaten them or their families. You can see that's happening daily, uh, on a daily occurrence now nationwide with these um, anti-immigrant lunatics. Mm. In particular, and then in Carrick, you have the same as every other town in the country of the social uh, anti-social behaviour, yeah. which is still on the increase. Um, it just baffles belief why Drew Harris and those in power are, are, are not doing more. Well, it seems that they just can't attract people to the job anymore, and uh, that's really what they have to work on, Eddie. But sure, it's the same as everything. There's there's money there for the top. You know, the same in, 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 as in the HSE, as in mm. every government organisation. There's money there for the lads that are sitting in offices making decisions. There's no money there for the rank and file. So you're saying financially it's not an attractive job anymore? It's... Well, I'll put it to you this way, friend. Would you do it for 22 or 23 grand a year starting off? No, I certainly would not. I don't know yeah. how they do it anyway. No, for any amount of money, I wouldn't do it. But mm-hmm. particularly young dad starting out, I mean, you could go into a factory and earn more than that. Yeah. You know, why would you to put your life in danger, put your family's life at risk? What I, what really troubles me is that I don't see any vision to to fix this in some way, Eddie. You know, I was reading through that the likes of these Garda reserves. That the best thing to do with that is just knock it on the head. I mean, that hasn't worked. Mm. 
It's a plan that cost millions since its foundation in what, 2008 or something, was it? Mm. Mm. And it's down to a couple of hundred people. Right, so you think so, that's that's a non-runner as far as you're concerned? Uh, it is. Look, it's absolutely non-runner. I mean, as little respect as, as people have for the Gardaí, mm. they've absolutely none at all for the for the reserves. I mean, they just don't work. Look, it, it's it's in, in, in principle, it's a great thing if people want to help their community in a way. But um, it needs to be reworked or refiddled or just knocked on the head altogether. Gotcha. I haven't heard much about it in recent times, Eddie. I have I've never seen one, thanks. I think I saw one in Clomel. Right. Once. Right. So as far as you're concerned, that's not even part of the answer, is it? Not at all, no. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's a non-runner. It just hasn't worked. Look, it works in England. They do their traffic. They do their... Asbos, that kind of thing. But yeah. if you come over here and if you 15 or 16-year-olds and some lad with a... A reserve uniform goes to him. Right. I mean, they're abusing Gardaí, they're arrested 30, 40 years. What would they do to a young fellow out of Templemore after three weeks? Right, you're saying it would would have no effect there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's also just on the bigger scale, you know, in terms of uh, Garda stations that no longer have a dedicated member attached. There's six uh, areas of Tipperary and uh, Borsali yeah. losing one as well. So, I mean, this is this is right across the county. This is... It's everywhere. Look, I... I drive for a living, so I mean, I can go between, I know the distances around the county now, and I see, I know my cupboard is close, the sergeant is below. He's covering between Carrick and Feathered. Yes. You know, I mean, one man going between Carrick and Feathered, it's absolutely ridiculous when you think about it. There's nobody in the station because he's on the road to Feathered or he's on the road back from Feathered. Mm. Well, it's, it's it's very difficult. And, you know, these guys have to be commended for the amount of work uh, that they're doing, but under extreme circumstances. Absolutely. Look, as I, the, the man I mentioned before, I, I know him since we were kids. Yeah. And playing hurling against him, and I've always had I've always had a fear of him on the hurling field, but I've always had the utmost respect for the man. Yeah. Um, I was working in Clamell in a nightclub, and he was serving up there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely brilliant guard. Yeah. Then you've the sergeant here, the female sergeant here. She's out in her own with families. I know that from my fantastic. Yeah, yeah, we, we hear that quite a bit. But the, it's yeah. just in in terms of numbers, they're just not there. And uh, they're just not there. I mean, you go down to the guards barracks any time of the day in Carrick, and you'll see families knocking on the door. Yeah, you know, not for criminal issues, for for civil issues that yeah, Sign, a signing a form or whatever. For. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That they need a guard a signature for. Yeah, um, you can't get it, and you can't expect two people on duty for twelve hours to be sitting there on their own, sitting inside waiting to sign forms. And and just, I mean, you have your finger on the pulse of of the community there, Eddie. Mm. I mean, what what are you hearing from people about this? Have they fears about this? There's massive fear in Carrick. I mean, there's all you have to do is go onto social media. You can see it. You know, they're gone to the station now, or they're just hitting people and fighting people for a laughing video on it. And there's a, a genuine fear there with people. I have a 16-year-old daughter who works part-time. She only works 500 yards from the house. But I won't let her walk home in the night at 10 o'clock. At 10 o'clock? No, no, absolutely not. I'll go pick her up. Right. Or walk home with the dog and walk back with her. And what, um, you, you're afraid she'll be attacked, Teddy, is it? I know she would. Absolutely, there's no doubt in my mind. 
that's 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 very damning, you know. And that's it is, and it's 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 not even a minority; it's a minuscule amount. You know, you're yeah. talking in a town of population about five and a half thousand. You're talking about maybe thirty kids. Right. You know, uh, I actually now now that we're on about this, I was actually sitting on the wall waiting for her one night, and the sergeant passed about four times. And the abuse that was levelled at the car from a crowd sitting on the green wall was just amazing. It stunned me now. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, how do you deal with that, Eddie? I mean, how? There has to be more feet on the streets, as simple as that. The four or five years ago, when I sat down with um, Willie Lee and we were talking about the drugs thing and Two days after, there was Gardaí walked all over the street. There was drug raids. They were tackling antisocial behaviour. Mm. That just died. Then, two years ago, a prominent doctor in the town went to. Well, we 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 don't want to get into to specifics, no, 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 Eddie, no. If you don't Absolutely, mind, yeah. went to um, yeah, the Gardaí, and and again, the antisocial behaviour was stopped. For it was actually Willie Lee who was on the street walking it mm. to see what the problem was. Yeah, and that was stopped again for a while. So it does. It does work, is what you're saying to me. It absolutely works. I mean, the last thing I, Fran, look, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I would absolutely hate to see Gardy in our town twenty four seven walking the street. Mm. That's not a, That's not the kind of town. That's not the kind of image we want to portray for the town. You know, if there's Gardy walking the street all the time, you know you're in bother. Yeah, it's not the image we want for the town in any of you that I'm involved with. But if that's what it takes that's, to make our town a bit safer, then and that's what it takes. And these kids that are hurling abuse, as you described, the danger mm. there is when they grow up to be adults, I mean, what are we looking at then, Eddie? You see, I had this conversation three days ago with a girl that was talking to her. Her son was jumped two weeks ago up in, in the States. They took his money, but he got away with his phone. And we were just talking away, and she said they were 15, 16. So I said, yeah, think about it in two years' time. They're sitting in the pubs and they're coming out of the pubs at half 11, 12 o'clock in the night. What are they going to do? So people definitely wouldn't be comfortably walking the streets then after after closing time? or No, they're not doing it as is because of these kids. So when these kids are legally able to go into pubs, it doesn't bear thinking about it. All right, Eddie. Thank you for your time this morning. Thank you. And, uh, good morning to you, Eddie. Bye bye, Janelle. It's Eddie Reid there as a community activist in uh, Carrick and Jura talking about those numbers that have been published in the Irish Indo today, if you want to have a look at them. But uh, not not great news for Tipperary. Uh, in 10 years in Carrick and Jura, 29% drop in uh, Garda numbers available there. Um, Garda stations are no longer having a dedicated member attached to them. Uh, rose from 35 to 42 two across the country, but um, six in a Tipperary. And of course, last year, as we know, Bursley uh, losing their, their guard as well. 1800 Now, Eamon is one of our listeners and was in touch with a suggestion to help out where uh, housing Ukrainian refugees is concerned. And he joins me now. Eamon, good morning to you. Well, fine. I won't hurry up because I know I'd be breaking for the news shortly, but I'll try to be brief as I can. 
Uh, no, it's just that we have a hotel being idle for years here in Osprey, as you much know. Yeah, the Pathé Hotel there. Has that's been, right, that's yeah. correct. Now, it's been idle and a whole a, a nice uh, family there. Mm. And also, there's a house being idle there now for the last couple of years beside the vet there, you might know. Uh, it used to be a funeral home, now it's turned back to an army house. Mm. Now, I've been living in Osprey for X number of years now, and I've seen a lot of places being idle here in town. Uh, I'd just like to put across to the listeners as well as the local TDs, what do you think uh, could have put uh, a family in those places? Right, so you think, and, and I presume the hotel would be still in relatively good shape, that's, uh, you know, if it could be made available. Um, but I wonder, what would the people of the town think of that, Eamon? Well, I don't know, but my uh, my uh, opinion you know, is, I think uh, we all should live better instead of being, uh, being our uptight over these things, because... You know, after all, we're all human beings, like, this discrimination should be going out with our girl. Like, yeah. uh, we all come in one uh, way and we should be happy and contented, like, but, you know, uh, family is a family, like, and, uh, you see in the war there, uh, what's going on there, and if you look back and think of where they're in Turkey, there, where the people are living in Tennessee, mm. you know, we think we're bad with, with a house could be done up and all this. Well, the poor people has no homes at all, like, and, you know, it'd be nice now if you uh, put a family in a hotel there. And what do you think about the people who are protesting against having uh, um, refugees in general or asylum seekers in, in their locality? What do you what do you make of that, Eamon? I'm disgusted. Are you? I am, because I say, you know, friend, as I said here, yeah, I'm not a racist, but there's serious racism. That should be, uh, that should be uh, pulled up out of that, because it's disgusting, like, Mm. You know, like we all like to live like, like, and okay, we all have our own problems and let people be who they are, what they are, but as I said, we're all human beings and mm. we should be uh, let live and yes. I don't think it's right now just to paint everyone on brush, it's not nice. Right, so you're disgusted by the kind of people who were out there saying that we we shouldn't have them and of course there's right-wing elements that are calling for all sorts of things and uh, dreadful racist stuff and... Yeah, because we all like to make a bit of living and make a bit of money. Like, like I, I've been listening to your show now, now for the last couple of years, but uh, take phrase like that now with the news there, they're saying there's nowhere to put them. Mm. And mm. that's why I'm bringing up this uh, thing. We've oh. all ten have been idle for years. So you're saying to me, really, Eamon, that there are places. There are places, there if, if we thought about it. Is that it? Yes. There's Breen's shop now, not far from me. That's been idle now for many years as well. Right. And as I said, there's a house on the side of that near Tesco's. Now, there could be a family of three in that or two. Right. But of course, and the they, hotel yeah. hall goes to. Yeah, now, of course, these are privately owned, so it's up to the people who who own them to make them available if that's what they choose to do or not, as the case might be. But, but do you think that the local authority should maybe try and encourage people to... Is, is that what you're saying to me, Eamon? Yes, because... Yes, uh, right, going back to what you're saying about being private owned. But like, how are they going to do? Leave it there to raft because like there's bringing shop now. They're uh, patching up uh, bit by bit, and you know it is kind of see all these places being left idle. You have the manufacturing uh, there as well. That's been left idle for many years as well. Mm. Because easy to do it up and do something there, like, and, Right. So there, know, are, there are options as far as you're concerned. There is, yes. 
All right, Eamon, good to talk to you today and uh, do look after yourself and thank you for coming on with us. That's Eamon speak to us from Ross Grey today. Um, the hotel in the middle of the zone was a gorgeous hotel in its day for sure. Um, what do you make of uh, that? Love to know your opinion as well on a, a piece that's in the newspapers today, the Oscar-nominated film uh, The Banshees of, in- uh, Banshees of Inishirn. Um, it portrays Irish people as moronic and is extremely offensive and that's according to a complaint to the Irish Film Classification Office and there was also criticism about the accuracy of the accents portrayed by the inhabitants of the fictional island that features in the movie as well as a claim that its reflection of Ireland in the 1920s was wrong. Now I didn't get to see uh, the movie but if you did get to see the movie I'd just love to know your your opinion uh, on it, uh, just keeping that in mind that one of the complaints said, uh, said that it portrays us as being moronic and that it was uh, extremely offensive indeed according to that uh, complaint and I wonder how, how do you feel about that how do you feel about the film in general because I'm getting very mixed reactions to it, I mean most people are delighted with the success of the film but uh, rather mixed reviews 083 311 news and information is coming up Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the second hour of uh, Tip Today. Can I just acknowledge all of you who were kind enough uh, to text and WhatsApp? Uh, about the show in Brewbrew on Saturday night. Yep, we had a ball. It was tremendous. I'm still buzzing after it. And thank you uh, to so many people who, who turned up there. And it was great to, to chat to everybody on the night as well. So again, thank you for your congratulations on that. Um, following my chat with uh, Eddie Reid, Councillor David Dunn of Carrick and Shore was on to say, I've just spoken to Superintendent Willie Dehy and he assures me that there are staffing issues right now at Carrick and Shore Garden Station, but they are uh, counting to provide 24-hour, seven-day week cover. Uh, we have a small, unruly element in the town right now, but Carrick is no worse than any other town of its size in Ireland, says uh, Councillor David Dunn. Now, following on from that conversation with Eddie Reid, I'm delighted to be joined by Tom Finnan. And you'll remember Tom as a former GRA uh, rep for Tipperary and indeed former Garda, of course, in Tipperary. Tom, good morning to you. Morning, friend. How are you? I'm, I'm very well indeed. Great to talk to you, Tom. And thanks for thanks for agreeing to come on with us uh, today. Um, you were listening to to Eddie there, and what did you make of that, Tom? Well, friend, I suppose I was in the job as a, the rep for Tipperary for ten years, and I spoke with yourself for I suppose four of those yeah. ten years, and then Seamus Martin before that. And it surprises me that it surprises everybody that members of Angarishi Akana aren't seen. And they're not seen because they're overwhelmed with work and there's not enough from there. It's as and simple that's, as that, 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 Tom. That's, that's been going on, friend, for the last 10 years. Ever since the Celtic Tiger busted and they failed to, from 08 to 14, to recruit uh, members of Ungari Shia and train them. And then they did in 14 and they gave them uh, terrible bad terms and conditions going into the job. So it's not an attractive job anymore, Tom, is what you're saying. Is that it? No, friend. You see that every bullet that comes out, I think there was some... I think Richie Kennedy said it there the last time he was amateur, that every bullet that comes out now does resignations of junior members. Never heard of before. 
And I don't know how the government woke up to this to ask the questions of what's going on. Like, Tipperary now is, is aligned with Clare, and you know that's a hobby horse of mine. Yeah. Should never have happened because Tipperary is a huge county. Now we're aligned with, with Clare. Clare has the superintendent, chief superintendent, below in Ennis. And again, things will go to Clare before they go to Tipperary. That's the way politics works in, in Hungary, Siakana. And all I can say to the likes of Carrick and Shore, Ross Gray, they have been uh, detrimental defects of members not going there in the last 10 years. And do you see anything, Tom, that is leading you to believe that, you know, that, there w- that this will change in some way or improve in some way? No, Frank, it won't improve because um, terms and conditions of new recruits is bad. Uh, we have a co- commissioner who's aligning himself with all his uh, ex-colleagues from the PSNI. I think he has three around the table with him now of eight or nine that should be there. Um, like, we, we serve the community, Fran, and to serve the community, you have to be in the community. But we have members in, in front of computers trying to get files up to their servers to get directions on, and there's not enough members in the chaos to stop people being overwhelmed with work. So the administration is holding up people from being available to go on the streets? Correct, yeah. Like, if I, if I go to your house and there's a burglary in it tomorrow morning, I have to go and check CCTV, uh, door to door, tick all the boxes, and if I get a statement off a neighbour who might have saw a suspicious car, I have to put that on the system, and then I'm doing that, and then my sergeant or my inspector may be asking me, why aren't you out patrolling? But you can't do everything. I mean, you... You hit the nail on the head, friend. There's not enough of us there to do... In my job previously, there wasn't enough of us there to do the work across the board to, to have it equal for everyone. That I wasn't... I was Like, if I'm in the car for the four days I'm working, I'm going to get four days of incidents that I have to answer. I, I just find it all... I mean, I knew it was bad, but uh, you, you're really putting clarity on it now, Tom. Well, friend, I, I can now because I'm no longer a member. Yes. And, like, we're the most oversized uh, job in the public service. We have the inspectorate, we have the guard authority, and we have GSA. I, I, I love... Now, the health service has, has been complained about X, Y, and Z there for the last couple of months and, and overcrowding and A&Es and all that. I'd love if those people decided that they'd go into the health service and oversee the health service and see what's going on in there, and then they might find the problems. But we we don't have problems until we're overworked. And the the work then, the files can't be prepared properly because you're in front of a computer screen and a call goes off and we've gone off to it. So everything is suffering. Yes, friend, and I, I think I said it to you numerous times, the QRA, in my time, were looking for an optimum number survey of members required. Right? Don't close stations. They close Dundrum, Terry Glass, Forest City, just to name three off the top of my head, yeah. in my time. And I had, a, I, I had a reporter in Dundrum, and Dundrum is a busy patch, you know it. I know it well, yeah. And it, it's, a, it's a route from Tip Town to Torres, to Nina, and the traffic that goes through Dundrum is unreal. What they took the guard out of there? No, no um, 
piece of military study, no nothing, and no con- no uh, communication with the GRA or local management. They just pen line through us, Don. Of course, most of the recruits now, well, when you have recruits, uh, they they all have university d- degrees and everything. And then they're coming out with, what's the initial pay to go into the Gardaí? What, what, is, what is your pay when you go in first? 34,000. 34,000. That's what I think it is now. I don't have my diary, my, yeah, my I diary. Thought, I, thought well, I, I, just rang, I just rang you on the... Like, that man from Carrick and Shore, the activist. Yes, I, he, Eddie. He, 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 he actually acknowledged that he had no time for guards when he'd grown up, but he respected them. Mm. But people in the communities have to meet the guards to find out what they're like and respect them. But we, we can't get out into the community because we're overwhelmed with work and we're probably doing an emergency service at the moment, uh, driving from there to be to, to help people that, are, uh, that need the, the guards' assistance. Right. And Gardaí, I mean, when they speak to the press or when they speak to programmes like this, they have to put a certain gloss on it, I suppose, just to give people a bit of comfort out there. But The Gardaí Siakana Act, Frank, determines what a guard, a member of a Gardaí Siakana, can say to the public on, a, on the airways. Right. You uh, have to be careful. You could be, you could be, look, you could be brought up tomorrow morning for saying something as a member of Miguel O'Connor by your local superintendent who gets a, 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 a correspondence down from on high of why did you say this? Right. You know? Now, you were often very upfront talking to me uh, from time to time, Tom. I mean, did you get wrapped on the knuckles from time to time? I, I tried, fine, but they didn't succeed. Right, because you were representing the Guardi, I suppose, were you? you were representing yeah, well, fine, they couldn't say... They couldn't say that I was wrong. Yeah. I, I, I was on the radio with you numerous times in Seamus Martin and anything I ever said was the truth. Mm. Yeah. So well, uh, I'm surprised that you're surprised, friend, because you shouldn't be. And you see the conduct of some of the places that members have to work in. You know, you saw, you saw Carmel. Well, Carmel is going on since... Yeah. Uh, God, God knows how long it's going on. Yeah. We thought we'd have a new station there now. Well, you brought me on uh, a tour of it, and I was appalled, Tom. I was absolutely appalled at what I saw. Yeah, mm. and Fran, there was Taoiseach and commissioners in there since, mm. and there's still no station for Clamell, uh, because I don't know. Tom, thank you so much, and I wish you well, Tom. Thanks for coming on with me today. We really appreciate yeah, it, Tom. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye to you. Tom Finlay there, former guard and former uh, GRA rep for Tipperary as well. Christy joins me now. Christy, good morning to you. Fran, how are you doing? I'm very well indeed. Former Garda as well. Um, Christy, were you surprised to, to hear some of those figures this morning? Well, the first year it says Tom was on there and um, he, he's, I suppose, a modern day policeman relative to the problems that I face. Mm. Um, you know, I was. I've seen West Cork in Union Hall in Skibreen last week celebrating 50 years having left there. Mm. And uh, I'm not quite sure my liver uh, is as good as it was. Yes. But anyway, we got yes. over it. Yeah. But um, I suppose I go back to the days of, um, of and I've mentioned this to you before, of the guards living locally. Mm. Mm. <clears throat> well, like, I suppose there was, there was, in my day, there was about 
curtailed us around and there was probably 10 living locally. The other 20 came in and caught pubs and everybody uh, was patting them in the back of the great work they were doing. But there was no recognition of directing traffic at funerals, visiting old people, starting the neighbourhood watch, uh, doing all this kind of work, visiting schools and all this kind of stuff. So with all due respects, uh, you know, that Tom man is holding exactly what I'm saying. And uh, as a young man, I was just thinking there, when Tom was talking about uh, Mr. Harris, mm. I remember walking the bar the way, way back, almost 15 years ago. And uh, I can assure you, the guards were a lot better got around the border than the IUC at the time. Were they indeed? Uh, and was that well, very, well, that was clear to you, Christy, was it, yeah? Sorry? Yeah, that was very clear 100%. to you, yeah. Mm. Well, 100%, and that's in, in, in you know, retrospectively as well. But um, I suppose where I'm coming from is, is of no, um, uh, I suppose, is of no benefit to the, the man who was talking from Carrigan Shore or any other town in Ireland. The days of the guard living locally are gone. Mm. But it's also it's important to recognise that uh, uh, you, you, we'll never have those days again because um, the contribution of somebody, as I said to you before, it was on the last time I was on with you, I had a lot more involvement when I was off duty than when I was on duty. Yes. And I knew yeah. every young lad around the town and I knew what was going on. And I, I kept uh, weighing as much as possible on it, and I, I quoted again. It was a personal insult for me to see you like get into trouble under my watch. Yeah, you, you, because you, you took it so personally, I suppose, Christy. Well, I did, it? of course, yeah. but I mean, I did. Well, I think, I, I think, you know, I mean, I, I just think that, um, <clears throat> you know, the guys are living on past stories, unfortunately, and they talk about communities and everything else. They're, they're so far detached from communities now, and here's a man that's been the lifetime dealing with communities. It, it's frightening. But they're living in past glories. There's no guard to be seen in the streets anywhere in Ireland. Anywhere in Ireland. And can I take and you back to something you said there, which is that, you know, we'll never get back to that. Is that what you believe? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Because I'll tell you why, friend, that was driven by people who had a bit of kindness and a bit of good nature. It was never, ever encouraged by my authorities. I was never judged on what I did for communities. I was judged on how many pubs I caught or how many boxes I ticked. So, I mean, that was, that was, a, <clears throat> that was a personal journey. <clears throat> Look, <clears throat> if you had, if you, respectfully, if you had one Christie on every unit, people would come in and they would always look for the one person, whether it be a Christie or Christine or whatever. Yes. There'd be four or five of us here very much involved community wise at the time I was working here. And, and uh, uh, to be honest with you, you glassed over what the rest of them were doing. The rest of their contribution was very different. But I'm talking about a different era because a lot of them were travelling to work and they didn't have any lot of interest. And you, you only have interest in, in where you're living. You don't have an interest in where you're working. And tell me this, Christy, because, I mean, you know, Eddie Reid earlier on described, uh, you know, groups of young lads hurling abuse at, at Gardaí and, and he, his daughter, he said he wouldn't allow her to walk home at 10 o'clock at night anymore because he was certain that there would be an incident. What do you make of that? Well, well, well uh, I, I mean, that is true. What a man is true is 100% what he's saying is right. But the other way I come at that and by saying to him, is that uh, is, is, is why I'm on with you today? Is that uh, in another era, I would know all those young lads. Mm. I would be talking at school. I'd be saying to them, if you go in, into into college tonight or San Ben and fuck up, you won't be going to America. Mm. You know? Yeah. I talk common, excuse my language, it was common yeah. man's language. Yeah. And, and I would, they'd be my friend. 
they be, they, every one of them I ever dealt with were my friends. I never, ever got abused by one young person in my life. And did did, did parents go to you to, like if a, a young lad was, was, was out of line, would parents go to you for advice and ask you to, to you know, to intervene in some way? Well, I'll give you a tiny little story, which is the psychology of life, and that's where I come from. I would be dealing with young lads who I I couldn't kind of get through to because you have to talk to them in front of their parents. You get my drift? Yes, of course. Yeah. And I would bring, the parents would eventually come in and I would say, you the best. You have the best parents in Ireland, and and you're behaving the way you are, right? Now, there was an awful lot of families of the best parents in Ireland, but I'm just saying what I wanted to do was to get to get the young lad in, have a chat with him, uh, clear up the bits what he was doing, get him cautioned, and get him get him going again, you know. And and I suppose that's you know, my own model. Look, man. I suppose I've I've always been a maverick in the way I did things, but yes. you know I I look at him now and I think worked. And the one reason I I was I, I was listening here this morning was thinking about that man in San Mel, who probably could have been me in the sense that he cares about the people. And the great thing about this, I don't know that man from Adam, but I I do know I do a body language of business. I do know the way he speaks. Their concerned, and yes. I would share his concern. And unfortunately, I I not put consolation to him. I not reminiscing about this long gone. I'm just stating about the reality of that time when I was in the guard. Chrissy, it's really good to talk to you again, and we really appreciate your contribution today. Thank you so but much for talking. Before you go, Frank, yes, Chrissy, of course you comment. can. Yes, uh, you know there, there was a case there the other day where where uh, under uh, under thirty five, over thirty five, should be allowed to join the guard, right? Yes, and I certainly don't have any problem with that, but I wouldn't like at 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 fifty five or sixty years of age after 25 years service or 20 years service to be chasing to be working nights. Like, in my day, friend, we started every week doing 10 o'clock nights and we finished every week doing 6 o'clock morning. Right? So you're working your 3, 10 to 6, 2, 2 to 10s and 2, 6 o'clock morning. And I'm not quite sure that a man, uh, you know, at 60 or 65 years of age uh, would be capable of doing that and I don't think to be fair on them because we all suffer from those days of shit work and I might just bring a practical comment to the scenario, Frank. All right, a very interesting one too. Uh, thanks, Christy. Thank you. Good morning to you. 1800-938-007. A listener says, Fran, I'm a retired member of the AGS. That's the Association of Garda Sergeants, isn't it? Uh, I agree with everything uh, that Tom says. They're trying to run the organisation like a business. The force is destroyed forever. There's a there's a damning comment indeed from a former member of the um, Gardaí and a former member of the AGS as well. We'll take a break. Back in a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Incredible story doing the rounds today about thieves uh, who burgled a home in Tipperary and killed the two dogs who were protecting the house. Um, the house was in Artfin and broken into on Sunday night and the guard, he believed the burglars gained access to the home with a key which was hidden in a shed uh, on the property and the gang got away with thousands of cash and some valuables as well after, wait for this, drowning the two pets and ransacking 
uh, at the house. It's just uh, incredible, isn't it? Uh, the Guardi are investigating that. Uh, no arrests are made uh, yet, and investigations uh, ongoing where that is concerned. Glad to be joined now by Sinn Féin uh, TD, Deputy Martin Brown. Martin, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. Good morning to your listeners. And uh, I want to talk to you about St. Patrick's and Cashel. But first of all, could I just get your view on those uh, figures uh, in the Indo today about Garda numbers in uh, the county, Martin? What, what are you making of that? Yes. No, I I didn't see the independent, but I'm looking at um, replies we got for PQs we put in, Tom. Uh, Fran. Yes. And to start, I suppose, you can hear the frustration in the likes of Tom's and Christie's. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's scared of what they see is the problem. And this has been raised over and over again with governments. Like, I'm looking at figures that there's three, six, seven guard stations closed. There's five with 24-7 with someone on desk. But there's another five, there's Gray, Newport, Timbermore, Cashland, Charity Shore. They have 24-7, but there is no guarantee you'll meet any guard at the desk. Mm. And as has been said there with all your contributors, we all remember a guard came in, Gary Ryan in Dundrum. Mm. Gary was there all my youth and that. That's right, fantastic. He got, fantastic. He got to know everybody he in the parish, as Christian yeah. said. You knew everything that was going on in the GA club, social clubs, everything. That's the one thing that's lacking as far as we're concerned, Bren, nowadays, is that a guard has moved into, let's say, Cashel. There are a couple of months here, they're moved on. So... The care or the community doesn't get any opportunity to build up that relationship that was there between public and the care before. And, I mean, Christie was very damning about this and saying, you know, he can't see this ever returning to that kind of policing. Do you go along with that, Martin? I, I know where he's coming from, but when you look at... Um, in 2020, there was 90 million spent on overtime, Fran, in the guards. Mm. 2022, that bill has gone up to 132 million. Would we not be better off investing some of that money in recruitment and retention? Mm. Because the wages that has come across there, I don't know how they do it. Mm. Yeah. But some of the abuse they get. Would that needs all change that you concentrate on recruitment and retention more than uh, what they're at? Because there's 100 chaos resigned last year. I know, so, yeah. And they're not bringing enough people in to even replace those that are resigning. And I know you didn't get a chance to see the, the Indo today, but uh, you know the figure for Carrick Insure in 10 years, Martin, down 29% of Gardaí in, in, yeah. in the town. I mean, that's... And know. look, at as Eddie Reid said, <clears throat> Eddie didn't have a relationship with the girls, uh, and probably we all had to run in from time to time. Yeah. But yeah. the respect was there, and when you met a girl or you didn't go home, if for fear that you've done something. If, if you have that kind of... Um, People leaving the force, towns like Calgary Shore, Raspberry, Cash, any place, Frank, mm. was going to suffer because the presence isn't on the street. And now, it, I don't want to make this literal, but it makes me laugh when I'm listening to government representatives on your show and national media and all that, giving out about this. They are the ones that can change this and turn it around. And like I said, just bring some of that extra 114 million that's gone into overtime in that two years. Get that into recruitment and retention and make the conditions that the girls we have that it's worth their while mm. and they feel... Uh, and it's attractive as a career, I suppose, Make, make it attractive yeah. as a career, yeah. yes, exactly. That they stay in the force and they don't leave. 
Can I can I take you to the the sixty bed community nursing unit at St Patrick's Hospital yeah. in Cashel that we've all been waiting for, Martin? You're concerned at what you got back from the HSE, and I find it very concerning as well. Will you tell us why? Well, look at you had Tom Woods on there on numerous mm. cases, and I remember Tom from the time on the town council there yeah. raising this on continuous basis. And we put in PQs, but we've gotten the latest reply we've gotten is. We look for why there's a reason in the delay and at what stage is it. And my first concern is when I see the reply we got back, now we're starting to refer to it as a 50-bed instead of a 60-bed, which we were all yep. told it was going to be. And the complete lack of detail that came in the reply, Fran. Yeah. Now, again, in the reply we got, they're talking about a design stage. Like, it went for design in 2019. That's four years ago. And we all accept that... Uh, COVID interrupted stuff and all that. But from 19 to 2020, 21, when COVID really kicked in, there was a two-year uh, framework that the design could be done. I don't know why at this stage it isn't going to maybe finish design that it can be put out for the part eight or whatever needs to be done. I'll let the public see. <clears throat> but we still talking about that design yes. stage. And, and, and our understanding was that the money was ring-fenced ring for this. Are you still certain that that is the case, Martin? At this stage, I'm not happy, and I wouldn't be confident, Fran, because also in the side like this, after talking now and putting in review options uh, yeah. regarding the development of a new community north of Union in Cashel, these are the things that we've heard about St. Bridget's and Carrick and Shore, yeah. Ian Maxwell in Rose Grey, Onakora in uh, Middleton, these are the worries that I have that why are we even talking about a review now on this when we had been told down for years and like I said Tom Woods would have been a man that really pushed this yeah. that now we're kind of changing this playing field again. And would you tell me about because like you your third concern would be my biggest concern would, would you just tell listeners about that? Uh, like I said the third one is the review of the options and and next thing they've put in, we never asked about Clonmel, though. Right. And, Clonmel. and we welcome if the 60 beds blow on Clonmel, because every one of these beds are needed. Right. But when you see the record of the agency removing services from Truro's County Tipperary under Delta, as far as we're concerned, I am really starting to get worried that why this isn't being pushed when the money had been ring-fenced and why they won't just deliver the additional beds. But also they're referencing, and I'm just looking at your own letter too, they're referencing the 50-bed community nursing room in St. Anthony's unit in Clonmel. Have you a fear that, you know, like happened with Nina and with Dean Maxwell in Miles Square, have you a fear about that in some way? We have, Fran. Um, like I said, there should have been no reason why they brought St. Anthony's into this reply, good, better, and different as far as I'm concerned. The specific question that we asked was, to estimate for health the status of plans to develop a proposed 60 bed unit plan for St. Patrick's Hospital Cashel, the reasons for us to play and whether he'd provide an update on the plans to progress the development going forward. And suddenly, St. Anthony's and Carmel is being brought into it. And when I come back to the review of the options, is this another slice of hand that will be told the unit is in Clanmel, there's no need for it in Cashel? Because one of the things, if I don't know, did you pay to last week at Petition Street in Dublin? One of the reasons they're saying no, about St. Bridges is yeah. an old building. 
you can. It's very hard and very expensive to put a new building onto an old yes. building. You know, St. Patrick and Cash, like most people, it's a very old building. Will they start giving the same kind of excuses again and blame each other and go around in circles and this unit finish it up? This will building. worry a lot of people. As you say, what's operative in what you got back from them is that notion of reviewing options, Martin. That is worrying. Yeah, that is worrying, friend. When you think of the amount of time and years that has gone in yeah. to being pushed and... Like I said, 2019, the design was being done. There was no reason four years down the road why a design shouldn't be in place. Or why are you even continuing the design if you're now telling people that you're reviewing the options? Uh, what What are you waiting for now, Martin? We we wrote back to the Minister, and for more clarity, uh, friend, mm. because I'm not happy with the responses we got back. I don't think the public or anybody that has had an interest in this over a number of years, would be happy with the response we've got back either. And especially the one last thing that you said there is this review of options. Mm. What is the review of options? Or what are they now talking about with regards to the investors and the unit? And another thing is why are we now talking about 50 beds instead of the 60, which we were told money was ringing things for? All right, Martin, thanks for your time today. Gurmila Mahagat, Sinn Féin TD, Martin Brown speak to us from Cashel this morning, 1800-938-007. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. Time now for our weekly global politics slot and uh, delighted to be joined as usual by politics and economics student Thomas Conway. Thomas, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Uh, good to see you today. Can I first of all ask you about that US warplane shooting down a new flying object near the Canadian border? And my understanding is that's the latest of three mysterious devices uh, spotted since uh, military radar settings were, were cranked up in the wake of the Chinese balloon and all. What are you making of this? It's very bizarre. It, it really is a bizarre sequence of events. I mean, are we going to see one flying over Tipperary next? That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> Would the Chinese have the audacity to do that? Yeah. Uh, it seems, I mean, speculation is that it's surveillance device that it's being used to uh, to gather data on the US countryside. The first number of, of balloons, I think, flew over states in which there were American nuclear facilities. So that yeah. obviously raised eyebrows. But it is very, it is very bizarre at this stage. I mean... Why would China do it when uh, the objects are obviously being shot, being being shot down? Yeah, um, it's yeah, it, it's, it's a strange, strange situation. What really threw me this this guy? He's the U.S. Northern Command commander, General Glenn Van Herk, and he was asked if uh, it was possible that the objects were aliens or extraterrestrials. And what he said was, "I haven't ruled out anything at this point." Which was a well, you have conspiracy theories like that, and you know, conspiracy theorists will love it. I mean. Yeah. Uh, you know, anything is possible, I guess. But my guess is that it, it is probably just a a bad Chinese attempt to gather to gather yeah. data on on the U.S. countryside. Be interesting to see what uh, what uh, comes from that. Staying with um, with America as well. Joe Biden's plan to reinvent the American economy. Um, that's uh, brave to say the least, and yeah, ambitious, it, isn't it? It is brave, and and it's funny because I mean. 
Trump, I think, tried to rewind or reverse mm. the US economy to bring it back to well, a time... Well, that helped him get in, into power. Exactly, it, precisely. Yeah. You know, it, it was part of his raison d'etre. Mm. You know, he, uh, he, he made these promises that he would restore the coal plants and restore the greatness of old, made, mm. make America great again. Joe Biden, in contrast, is seeking to reinvent the US economy. And to be quite frank, he, he, he's, been, he's been relatively successful so far. He's made, he's passed three major bills through Congress, three major legislative achievements. Uh, the detail of them is kind of interesting. You have the, the Infrastructure Act, which is worth $1.2 trillion, uh, and that is being directed to, towards roads, bridges, other pieces of hardware. You then have the CHIPS Act, oh, $280 billion of expenditure. Much of that is targeted at semiconductor microchips. And then finally, you have the Inflation Reduction Act, and that comprises about $400 billion. That's being aimed at green tech and other similar pictures. Wow. So, and is this doing work that would have been farmed out to the likes of China and other Asian countries? Well, that is the thing, yeah. So it, it is, in its own right, kind of a form of protectionism. And, you know, that has raised eyebrows in, in Europe, the Europeans, Macron in particular, and Schultz, aren't that happy at what at what the US is doing here and they've unveiled their own plans and subsidies to try and, I suppose, offset the effects of Biden's plan. So it's a form of protectionism, very different from the Trump form of protectionism, but I think a form of subtle protectionism, no doubt. Now, there are pitfalls and dangers to it, to it because, I mean, America, particularly at this point in time, cannot afford to alienate other countries. Sure. You know, yeah. with the solidarity that's there in respect of the war in Ukraine and other global challenges, it has to do its best to keep other Western nations on side. So Biden is treading carefully in that regard. Its geopolitical alliances are still to the fore. Mm. But how, how is unemployment? Yeah, you see, this is this is the thing. Unemployment currently stands at 3.5%, a 50-year low. So wow. things going really well from that perspective. This plan to reinvent the economy, I suppose, where it differs from, from maybe Trump's plan and maybe other initiatives launched in the past, it won't create as much jobs because a lot of the jobs now in the tech sector are automated, whereas in the past you had, I suppose people standing over production lines today mm. nowadays you have robots and software artificial intelligence uh doing the uh doing the work so mm. there there are differences to this and and previous plans and what about middle america though i mean will he be able to to get a, a lot of this work to those areas well you see that is i read one piece very interesting during the week and i'll i'll paraphrase it like if biden gets his way if his plan comes to fruition the midwest which has always been synonymous with industrial decline, it'll no longer be a place of rusting factories and high unemployment. You'll have rich and, and futuristic industry there. You'll be driving vehicles powered by batteries and passing through manufacturing uh, factories, manufacturing batteries and microchips, all this kind of thing. So it really is mm. a radical change. And is he being acknowledged for this? I mean, in terms of popularity, uh, I think you see, th th like the the numbers are the numbers vary. I suppose when you look at any opinion poll, his approval rating has fluctuated. You know, wasn't great for a time, improved slightly. Probably has improved over the past few months. We're keeping an eye on an eye on the Republican approval ratings as well mm. in terms of the Republican primary presidential contest. Uh, but it seems at this point that, and we've mentioned this before. 
there is no successor to President Joe Biden emerging. Mm. Kamala Harris has been, I won't say non-existent, that, that would be unfair to her, but she has been pretty much invisible mm. as Bryce President, going about her, her job in a very understated fashion. But her credibility has been seriously damaged, Thomas, hasn't it? It has, it mm. has. And it's very hard to see her standing for for election, particularly if Biden decides to go again. And it looks like it looks like he will. Now, I suppose the big pitfall, the big danger is that he now faces a slim Republican majority in the House of Representatives. So that makes it much more difficult to get bills through. Mm. Now, the thing about, we mentioned those three bills earlier. I mean, Biden is famous for, for his ability to work across the aisle. Mm. I think he's well-liked by both sides of the political spectrum. You know, he's been around the block an awful long time. Um, right. So he has cross-party support to a, to, to, to an extent, yeah. yeah. He's able to cross the aisle and, and seek the support. Now, that's not always easy, though. And, you know, you will have... The, they call him the berserker clan of kind of Republican members who will be intent on stymieing his agenda wherever and whenever possible. So that's an obstacle he's going to have to confront in the coming in the coming two years. But certainly, look, America is home to the largest economy in the world. It amounts to a value of twenty three point three trillion dollars. Good God, it's eye watering. It's eye watering, eye watering sums of money. So Biden's blueprint, it's going to radically transform the U.S. economy if it comes to fruition. But look, it is very ambitious. America will be a better place for it, but it's a long way off that vision which I outlined of, you know, of semiconductor plants and factories and battery-powered vehicles. It's still a long way off that point. Speaking of economies, let's have a look at what's happening in the UK. And you're making reference, first of all, to the great British walkout, I suppose. Yeah, I wanted to feature this. I mean, we, we saw those strikes. It's a, it's almost a fortnight ago now. One of the biggest strikes in uh, in in over a decade, almost 500,000 public sector workers quickly succeeded by one of the largest NHS strikes in history. And then you had the kind of uh, the juxtaposition last Wednesday or Thursday with Vladimir Zelensky visiting the UK. And, you know, I watched his speech to the joint session of the House of Commons. And you have to think that from an international perspective, given the fact that the uh, the issues regarding the Northern Ireland Protocol seem to be kind of progressing along lightly as well. We seem to be on the cusp of a breakthrough. Rishi Sunak is doing rather well. Mm. And then you look at what's happening domestically and the sentiment towards him amongst his domestic audience and you think, you know, what is going wrong? You know, he's just marked his 100th day in office last Thursday week. And I mean, internally within Britain, there is just so much doom and gloom about. Now, soon how, how badly is he doing, Thomas? I mean, well, by, by comparison to Labour, for example. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the opinion polls don't lie, really. So the Conservatives are basically on 26%. That's 25 points behind Keir Starmer's Labour, which is sitting happily at 51%. So if an election were held tomorrow, almost half the electorate would vote for Labour. And, and it's important to make the point as well, the Starmer isn't exactly a star performer No, either, he's so, not, yeah. because the personal opinion approval, uh, opinion ratings are, you know, mm. Sunak stands at 33%, uh, that's poor enough, but Starmer is only at 33 so he's not doing that much better. Now, the thing is, about 76% of voters are unhappy with the government's current performance, so that... 
that says it all, really. I think people, they may not have warmed to Starmer to, mm. uh, as much as maybe uh, previous Labour leaders or previous leaders, but they're certainly not happy with what the Conservative right. Party is How, doing in Gordon. You know, despite the doom and gloom, Sunak is still, he's kind of, you know... Yeah, he's cultivated this kind of persona as Mr. Reasonable. So, yeah. you know as we've seen from his work kind of on the Northern Ireland Protocol and Brexit, he's willing to extend an olive branch and that includes to the workers in the UK. He he genuinely, I think, wants, uh, at least I get the sense, he wants to work with them. He's there to solve problems. Uh, now, the thing is, I mean, the sentiment hasn't really turned for him. You know, in the past, when you have these widespread public strikes, there's generally a lot of frustration amongst ordinary members of the public because, you know, essential services are down, they can't get to work, uh, they can't get hospital treatment, stuff like that. But on this occasion, there seems to be major sympathy across all strands of all socioeconomic groups, all demographic groups. People empathise and sympathise with those who are on strike. For for instance, another, another statistic, more than half of voters, 59%, Backstrike action by nurses in Britain. Wow. So you know that's an yeah. over. That's a, a pretty significant majority, and it's probably indicative of the widespread support for those working in medicine. How, how is uh, Jeremy Hunt doing uh, as uh, chancellor? Yeah, a steady pair of hands, a steady pair of hands, and you have to give him credit. I think you know with all with the disastrous tenure of Liz Truss and mm. Quasi Quarteng, you have to give Jeremy Merriman. He was brought in there to do a job to stabilise the ship to to get things back on course. And he has done that effectively. Mm. And I suppose his image contrasts to a lot of the others within the Conservative Party. Another thing Sunak has tried to do is rid the party of corruption and sleaze. And yet he has been faced with numerous allegations. Good luck with that. Yeah, just two weeks into his yeah. tenure, you have Gavin Williamson. Uh, he was sacked over bullying claims. The week before last, Nadim Zahawi sacked over his tax affairs. There's currently an investigation into Dominic Raab uh, over bullying claims as well. So, I mean, that is going disastrously for Sunak, yeah. you know. Do you know, I was reading over the weekend, there's still an element of Conservatives that are looking to Liz Truss. You yeah, know, yeah. And, and her politics, particularly her, her financial politics. Well, I, mean, I well, find that incredible. Some will, some will argue, and I have heard this argument discussing it around the dinner table at home, actually, uh, the other night. You know, she came in with a, a very audacious plan. Mm. In a different time period, if the US or if the UK economy was in a different place, maybe the markets would not have reacted so poorly to it. Now, I'm not defending her. You know, it worked yes. out disastrously. Um, but was it was it largely a spend spend? It was, was spend it? spend, yeah. you know, and and tax cuts, you yes. know, ad infinitum, and you know, in some in some circumstances that might be seen to work. But I think, given the point, given the the global geopolitical yes. environment at the time, it just went disastrously wrong for her. It was a calamity, you know. It was a. You know, it will go down in history as the worst premiership of all time. It's incredible, isn't it? So, uh, Sunak then doing well uh, on the international front, but, you know, all politics being local and stuff. All politics being know. local. Very hard to see it turn him turning around, even by the time of the next general election in the UK, which is a while off. It's incredible. I know you wanted to talk to us about Peru today, but we're out of time, and I'd love to spend more time at that because I'm fascinated by what's happening there. But yeah. would, you, would you talk to us about what we should be uh, watching out for? And you mentioned Macron uh, earlier on. He, he's, he's under pressure. He's under he? pressure domestically, yeah. yeah. So like, somewhat like Rishi Sunak, you know, performing well on the international front. His plans to raise the retirement age in yeah. France, which 
Look, to be honest, and I've read into it, they need to do it. Yeah. He wants to raise it from 62 to 64. It's been a signature policy since he first entered the Elysee in 2017. Mm. Not happy. The public are not happy with it, as you would predict. Right. It's but financially, Thomas, does it have to happen? Financially, it's practically essential. Right. I okay. mean, and we all know the, you know, ballooning retirement costs, mm. the, the costs of funding state pensions. It's an issue across the developed world. Well, we see it here. here it's time, an issue here all It's an issue here as well. Of course, the likes of Marine Le Pen have come out strongly against it. Similarly, the far-left leader, Jean-Luc Mélenchon. Uh, so they're all coming out against it, but Macron needs to do it. Whether he'll be able to get it through, he doesn't have a majority in the French Parliament uh, at present, so he's relying on the support of another party, another right-wing party, Les Républicains. It's going to be very hard, but I, I suspect he will push it through because I suspect he knows that France needs to do it. With all that uh, was spoken about in Qatar with the, the World Cup, now there's a secret Saudi plan to buy the World Cup. Yeah, What's I, happening there? I, at first I couldn't believe it, and then the more I read about it, I could really, because Saudi have tried to buy their way into so many sports mm. events. So yeah, the dust hardly settled on Qatar 2022, but already the talk has shifted to a future tournament, and that is the 2030 edition of the FIFA World Cup. And Saudi Arabia and Mohammed bin Salman plan to put in a bid, uh, a, a joint bid, along with Greece and Egypt. Now, under the terms of that, Saudi would host 75% of the games, but Greece and Egypt would be involved. It's a very interesting plan. Now, the, it will come up against stiff competition. You have other, you've two other major bids: Spain, Portugal, and Ukraine. That was initially just Spain and Portugal. They've done a very nice thing, I think, and extended it out to Ukraine. Uh, they they brought them in with it, mm. and then there's a joint South American bid featuring Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, and Chile. But I mean. A World Cup in Saudi Arabia would be ridiculously controversial. We see well, the, the social issues there. The, like, the yeah. social issues. It is, I suppose, though, demonstrative of how Saudi is planning planning to kind of reinvent its economy, a little bit like America, yeah. except in a very different light. Because Bin Salman knows he has to MBS, as he's called. He knows they need to move away from hydrocarbons. That's oil and gas, and they need to develop a. Um, a better economic framework which is based on yeah. other industries, but diversified. Am I, am I right in thinking, is homosexuality outlawed there? Isn't there? E, well, you have there? all these things and yeah. I read a damning report last week into executions, a, yeah. a, a sickening report really, you know, state executions that are still carried out in Saudi Arabia. So, I mean, if it want now, it should be said, I, I will note, they have made progress in certain issues. You know, women are finally, have finally been allowed to, to drive and have been given certain freedoms. Mm. I'm not defending Saudi Arabia mm, by so. any respect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they are progressing, but it seems that change is, is incremental at the well, best of times. Saying, after what happened in Qatar, you'd imagine that the World Cup, uh, that they'd be careful about it. But I only have 30 seconds, Thomas, but we have to mention what's happening in uh, Turkey because there is political fallout now. Uh, there is political the fallout. And we spoke about Erdogan the week before yeah. last he is not going to benefit from this given uh, given what's happening, given the response effort. Now, I don't want to completely politicise this because obviously the most important thing is that as many lives are saved mm. as possible. Uh, but he is due to hold election, an election in May and I suppose this earthquake will dictate, I think, Recep Tayyip Erdogan's political fortunes in that respect. It's going to be very yes. interesting to see how Once Turks will react. And they're looking into the quality of some of the building now at yeah, this point Yeah, and as questions, well. major yeah. questions being asked as they often are in the wake of these catastrophes. Thomas, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank Thomas you, Thomas Conway with us this morning. News and information is coming up.
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Anne was on to us from Mullinahol and she says the plaza in Clonmel is a waste of space, Fran. Why can't they put the guard station uh, there? Uh, and as for colleges in Clonmel, there's no transport or places for students to stay, says uh, Anne. Well, funny enough, the guard station, when it eventually uh, is uh, built, won't be too far from the plaza. It'll be part of that um, old army bar- barracks uh, site there. And so that's what they're hoping for. But look, it's quite a ways down the road, I would imagine, at this point. Uh, Valentine's Day, of course, tomorrow, and it can spark a frenzy of comparison especially right across uh, social media. It can, I suppose, make us feel lonely, sad, angry, resentful, annoyed, to name but a few emotions. And for more on this and to talk to me about this, I'm delighted once again to be joined in the studio by Laura Butler, who is a professional life and business coach. Good morning to you, Laura. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Lovely lovely to talk to you. Um, Valentine's Day and all of that. Will you talk to me, first of all, about the comparison thing? I mean, social media is playing into this big time, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, comparison. I did a lot of research and kind of understanding the behaviour that surrounds comparison. And what I've discovered is it's just a normal part of human cognition. So it's a normal part of our everyday lives. Where it kind of gets, I suppose, a little bit harmful to ourselves is when we slide into maybe upward comparison. So we have what's called upward and downward comparison. Upward is where you compare yourself to somebody who you feel is superior to yourself. So it kind of just reminds you of everything that you don't have or that you're missing out on when you do that. Downward comparison is the opposite, where you compare yourself to somebody who's worse off than you to make yourself feel better. So... When we recognise that comparison is a normal part of day-to-day life, it's not necessarily that it's going to stop, but it's what you do with that information when you feel comparison is coming on. That is the key power where you can choose to do something differently about it. Right, so what can you do about it? I mean, let's take the upper one where you think that somebody's doing better than you or they get more flowers than you or they get more love than you. How how do you deal with that? So again, it's about looking at, well, what is is missing for me that I feel that way? So it's utilising the information that your emotions are giving you because emotions are information within your system and your body and they're they're really advocating for what you need at the time and especially across Valentine's Day it reminds us if you're single how single you could potentially be or you know if you're going out with somebody and you're looking on social media and all these influencers are surrounded by red roses and chocolates and so on and so forth it can kind of well I didn't get that or my partner didn't do that for me or I didn't get excuse me I didn't get my breakfast in bed so it, it slides into everything that we don't have rather than focusing on what we do have and potentially what right. we're grateful for. Is that any different to plain old envy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> plain old envy, yes. And envy, it's part of it. Like if you're comparing something um, that somebody else has to yourself, absolutely envy. Envy is an emotion that we can mm. experience as well. But it's like, okay, what can I do with this emotion that I'm experiencing? If I'm experiencing envy, what is this telling me about what I need for myself because I suppose you can only love somebody as much as you love yourself and as much as you are connected to yourself so it kind of operates on that level and 
like with Valentine's Day tomorrow, I would always say to people like, have you discussed with your partner how you want that to be celebrated? Not alone Valentine's, it's birthdays, it's all these mm. kind of occasions that pop up. But have you asked for what you need? Because people aren't mind readers and we just tend to assume people know what we would like yes. rather than actually having that conversation and letting that person know well, you know, I really love balloons over flowers or actually I don't want flowers. I want, you know, a voucher to get my hair done or my nails done or, do you know, whatever it mm. is. Or because even... men are dopes. I mean, <laughs> unless you tell them plainly. I mean, do, don't do abstract or, or, or anything, but, you know, you have to tell them. Yeah, and like... Look, it goes across for for both sexes, I think. You know, it depends. Some people don't believe in Valentine's Day. They don't want to celebrate it, like birthdays, all that kind of thing. So having those conversations and actually asking for what you need means that you celebrate it in a way that's meaningful to you. And that's that's really what it's about. It's about, like, it's not about what you're getting. It's about the love you feel. And even for, you know, if you're single on Valentine's Day, it's about, well, what can I do to show myself how much I love myself? You know, and it's about, like, you can't love somebody else as much as you love yourself, like, less than you love yourself. So, again, the more you can be comfortable with yourself, the more you can be comfortable with other people. Right. But if you are in an open plan office... And, you know, a couple of the people involved get the 12 red roses or whatever else. And you're sort of sitting there, even though you have a partner. But you, you can't help but feel a bit, you're smiling at me now. I am smiling. Yeah. Have, have you seen that happen? Or, yes, yeah. sure. Across, it's it's really evident, I think, across social media. And especially on a day where it's so commercialised now. Mm. And it's like the bigger the gesture, oh, the, the more love that's there mm. and that's not necessarily true at Nonsense. all it's yeah. yeah absolutely so again it comes back to okay well what's my relationship like what do I need in my relationship if I'm feeling if I'm not feeling you know loved by this other person well what's happening for me and it's really about bringing it back to yourself we tend to project onto other people and blame them which is a an easy response, I suppose. So it's your fault. You didn't do this for me. It's your, you know what I mean? Mm. Whereas if it's like, okay, how do I take responsibility? So what's happening for me that I feel this way? What's happening that I am envious or that I'm angry or that I'm upset? And it's bringing it back to yourself because everything that's happening internally is a, is a trigger. And the other person isn't responsible for that. You are. Right. Let's look the other way then, where you're feeling a little superior because all the love is being shown to you in, in every way. So what about that feeling? Is there caution needed with that as well, Laura? Yeah, because that's that's what I suppose the, the downward comparison piece lends itself to. So here you are surrounded by balloons and, and all the good stuff and you're looking at everyone else and you can kind of feel like, God, I did well. You know, I have I've I've been shown how much I'm appreciated and loved. And really, that is comparison, but it's the downward comparison. And it's just being mindful of somebody has the ability to take that away when you when you lean into comparison. Oh, so you're giving somebody else control. You're giving that? someone else the power. So wow. if it happens, you know, if you're surrounded on one particular day, then they have the power to take that away by not doing the same thing again. Um, and that can be a slippery slope. So it's about like obviously being appreciative of if somebody goes and, and yeah. you know has gestures of, of romance on Valentine's Day but it's just being mindful of your own internal reactions towards that. 
you've alluded to it several times and I'd love to find out more about it, which is, you know, that need to love ourselves. Mm. Um, particularly, maybe not your generation, but my generation was certainly brought up to think that that is selfish and it's not the thing to do and love thy neighbour and all of that sort of thing. Mm. Um, tell me about loving yourself and how important that is. It's really important. Um and it research shows that you know self-care now is a priority and i suppose we see it we see it across a lot of social media as well about what self-care is and how we can be kinder to ourselves and for me it's about self-care is is more about self-kindness than self-judgment so we tend to slip into self-judgment a lot of the time and it's about bringing yourself back into self-kindness and when we're in when we're in the space of self-care like self-care can be something like you know going for a walk having a nice bath, but it can also be about looking at what's happening for you internally and understanding your triggers, your emotions, your thinking patterns, all of that work that you can do to lend itself to being more connected to yourself because a lot of us operate on automatic behaviour and we don't realise that actually our thoughts, feelings and behaviours are all connected and they're all interlinked and primarily they're established very early in life. And so we're actually repeating patterns of behaviour that we've established maybe when we were seven, eight, nine. Mm. We're still repeating them to this day. And that's for the, you know, every generation regardless. But um, you can't, when you're disconnected from yourself, you can't be connected in the same way to somebody else. So self-care is all about, for me, it's all about bringing yourself back to connecting to who you are. And whatever that looks like for you, it can be, as I said, it can be like, you know, going, getting the hair done or going for a bath. Mm. But really self-care is about understanding what's happening and why you're being triggered internally and what you can do differently about it. Right. And if you see somebody as a people pleaser big time, does that concern you? Is that one of the things that concerns you? Because, you know, it's all outward stuff. Is that it? Absolutely. So people pleaser uh, and people pleasing is a coping mechanism. And we do that to want to be liked by other people because we were validated when we were younger in a in in that way and so in order for us to feel loved we need to be validated by other people mm. and when that happens validation is is outside of you so as i said kind of like with the the downward and upward comparison you've given people the ability to remove that you've given them the power and and the, I suppose the work that I do is about bringing the power back into yourself so that you don't necessarily seek validation from somebody else. Like, you know that you're good enough regardless. Um, but people pleasing is a really interesting one um, and it tends to lend itself to, to a behaviour that we've established um, a very long time ago that we still operate against right. because of validation. If we've com compounded that behaviour that we might have learned at six or seven or something where we don't like ourselves particularly... Mm. Can that be turned around? Can that be changed? Yeah, absolutely. And it's about breaking it down. It's about understanding, well, what was the event or, or the circumstances that lended it, itself to us believing that we weren't good enough. Um, but the mind can be rewired. And we know this through neuroscience, but also through a lot of practices around um, gratitude. Gratitude has a physical and, and mental benefit to um, to us and it's it's when we start to look at 
what gratitude can do for us and allowing us into that space that rewires the brain and so when you start to break down all of these patterns of behavior that you've built up over the time you can then start to identify and shift your perspective and look at doing things differently but you can like self-confidence fear of whatever it might be self-doubt all of these can be tackled right. all of these can be and is this the cognitive aspect of what you do yes yeah, so a lot of I do, well, what I do is called cognitive behavioral coaching so it's really about understanding thinking patterns how they've emerged what the behaviors are that you're demonstrating as a result of these and then we work on shifting right. perspective and looking at doing things differently and what happens Laura if you can't trace it back to a single incident or if it's it's a kind of a general feeling you have yeah, to... that's okay I mean <clears throat> coaching I suppose the difference between coaching and therapy therapy allows you to go back and process coaching is very much look you are where you are let's move it forward yeah if you don't have an idea of where it originated from, that's okay. You can still look at changing your thinking patterns, shifting perspective and doing things That's great. I was wondering about yeah. that, if you, if you could. So yeah, you, well, as absolutely. you say, here we are, but now I want to move forward. Yeah, and it is, it's about looking, it's a future focused. So it's all about, okay, where do I want to get to? Where do I want to be? And then working with someone like myself, it helps you bridge the gap from where you are now. Right. It's, it's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it really oh, is fascinating. it really is. And yeah. I know that Valentine's, which is where we started out talking about, Valentine's gets a bit of bad press. But exactly what you said about Valentine's applies to birthdays and Christmases and all, all of those things. It applies things, to it? all occasions, really. I mean, any any occasion that you feel that you want celebrated in a certain way, then it's really about having the courage and being brave to have that conversation with whoever it might be that, you know, could be a best friend, could be uh, a partner, whoever it is, to help you to meet your needs because that's right. what you're trying to do. Right, but could I just urge every woman listening to us on behalf of men, do not do subtlety, do not do abstract, make it quite clear. Is it yes. okay if I do that, Laura? Absolutely, <laughs> and I think it's important to point out that we do have what's called cognitive distortions, where we do believe, like, we make assumptions that people will know what we want, we mind read, you yes. know, that he's going to, or she's going to do this, this and this, and then when it doesn't happen, it sends us into a little bit of an internal struggle. So, again, it's have that conversation, look for that support in what you need and don't be afraid to ask. Right. And and just finally, back to the comparison thing and measuring yourself against what happens for other people. That's a pointless thing, isn't it? It is. It's going to, like, a, I think there's a, there's a quote there, comparison is, is a thief of joy. And it is. So the that's way... That's a lovely... That's, that's I a think lovely it was Theodore phrase, Roosevelt who said was that. It? Yeah. yeah, I think so. But... Um, I think that if you're in comparison mode, then it's just reminding you of what you don't have. Understanding that comparison will happen, but it's what you do with that information, whether you choose to allow it to impact you and you spiral into a certain type of emotion like anger, resentment, whatever, or whether you choose to go, God, that's interesting now. That's, I'm curious, why is that happening for me and what's going on for me and what do I need to look at differently that that's actually what's happening. So you can utilise the comparison in a, in a both positive and negative way. Very good. You're a life and business coach. You also uh, look after cognitive behavioural uh, therapy and all of that. If people want to talk to you, Laura, how, how can they do that? Yeah, I'm across social media. It's called pdccoaching.com or on my website pdccoaching.com or, you know, reach out. All right, Lorna, a happy Valentine's happy Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Lovely, lovely to see you. Thanks very much indeed. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie
And you're very welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Um, not only do we have Valentine's Day, but I'm told we have Galentine's Day, and that seems to be today. And um bet you didn't know about this. The female friendships, uh, it says here, we so heavily rely on are celebrated each year on Galentine's Day on February 13th, which is today. And seemingly it originates from the TV show Parks and Recreation. And the holiday is all about declaring love and affection to the girls who make up uh, the support system around us. So it's Galentine's Day. You learn something new uh, every day. Let's go to our sports editor, uh, Paul in Nina. Good morning to you, Paul. Morning, Fran. How are you? Did you know anything about Galentine's Day? No? Uh, not really, no. We'll have to have a, we'll have to have a Palentine's Day now or something, <laughs> Fran, for, the, for yeah. the lads. There's a good idea. We'll have to pick a date for it as well. Um, let's start with GAA if we can. And, of course, the long-awaited win over Kilkenny in Nolan Park, Paul. Yeah, a big, massive win for, for Tipperary yesterday, um, as you said, down in Nolan Park. Hadn't won there since 2008. It was the seven attempts uh, since then where Tipperary have played Kilkenny in Nolan Park. And uh, each of those times came away with a defeat. But it was different yesterday. Tipperary with a 224 to 121 win uh, in the National Hurling League. Jason Ford was the main scorer for Tipperary. 115 he got. And he scored, you know, the, the goal from play was brilliant. He got sidelines, freeze, you know, he was intercepting puck outs and putting it over the bar just an unbelievable performance from from uh, Jason Ford Jake Morris got, got the, the match goal. as well did he I'd imagine it's so, a, yeah, geez, if he didn't get man of the match yeah. now, something would be wrong, Joe. <laughs> yeah, 115, yeah. but um, yeah, a brilliant performance. The first half really set the set the tone for tip 213 to seven points ahead um, at half time, And uh, yeah, just really encouraging signs, I suppose, all around. There was performances all over the field. Connor Bow was someone that particularly caught the eye. Could have got two goals, um, but they both, uh, both of his shots, uh, one of them was saved and I think went over the bar. And the other one was saved and, and fell back out to Jake Morris, who, who finished it into the back of the net. So all pretty positive for Tipperary. The only kind of negatives coming from the game was Paddy Cadell got um, a leg injury uh, in the first half. Um, it was right in front of us on commentary. It was just one of those ones where it, it looked innocuous, which is always kind of um, worrying when yes. you see someone go down because uh, something serious may have happened. So we hope that Paddy Cadell um, is OK and it's nothing too serious. And Kyle Barrett had a shoulder injury as well. Um, so we await oh, kind of updates not. on the two of those ads. Did I did I read this morning? There was some talk about the amount of wides as well that might have been a little bit worrying. Yeah, sure. The tip, we, it's, I suppose it's a good sign that Tip were creating so many chances. You know, they scored two twenty four, and I think the wide count was up above fifteen. I mm. think. Um, so yeah, you know, like you're, you're never going to put everything over the bar, really. But a bit of a swirling wind there in Nolan Park as well. But overall. Um, pretty positive result all around for, for Tip. Very good indeed. To soccer then and good news from St. Michael's. Yeah, St. Michael's are the are true to the last eight of the FAI Junior Cup. They're the last uh, Tipperary um, team left in the competition, so it's the main uh, junior soccer competition in the country. Uh, they beat Waterford side Hibernian 3-1 in their last 16 tie. Uh, that was in Cook Park yesterday. Uh, the goals for St. Michael's came from Jimmy Carr, David Slattery and Ed O'Dwyer. So they're into the quarterfinals draw. It's going to be on some st- sometime this week, I'd imagine. Um, might even be today. I'm not too sure uh, for the for that quarterfinal draw. But St. Michael's will fancy it now. They have a uh, really good um, history in that competition. Won it as recently as uh, 2019. And a very experienced side there. So uh, they're into the uh, the last eight of the FEI Junior Cup. Very good. Now, of late, we've begun uh, talking about uh, darts, particularly with the success of uh, Dylan Slevin, uh, Paul. So what's the story? Yeah, so we uh, spoke about him last month when he uh, earned his uh, PDC tour card. So he had his first uh, tour event over the weekend and 
he just kind of burst onto the scene really a burst of cane man uh, he was playing in uh, Barnsley over the weekend over in England and it's a competition with 128 of the, the top players the top professional darts players they come together and they play these events where there's uh, there's 100 grand of prize money up for grabs um, in each event and depending on how, how far you get mm. I think if you get to the final you get like 12 grand or, and that kind of thing So and it filters down then and overall the, the prize money you win is uh, used to determine your, your ranking like your, oh, your world ranking yeah. so um, it's the, the first one for Dylan Slevin and on the first day he managed to go all the way to the semi-finals like and you know he's beaten the likes of like darts players or darts uh, fans will, will know the likes of Daryl Gurney William O'Connor Josh Rock he, he beat all these lads on his first uh, um, yeah. appearance and he got all the way to the semi-final unfortunately losing to, uh, to Jamie Hughes there that was on Saturday's event and they had another event so the second event on Sunday um, unfortunately he lost in the opening round on Sunday but it was to uh, uh, Danny Noppert who won the UK Open last year one of the major championships and Danny Noppert actually went on to win Sunday's event so just a kind of a un- unlook of the draw really there for Dylan Seven on Sunday but just a great weekend all round to start his career on the tour and um, yeah the, the events three and four take place next weekend over in Barnsley so I'm sure he'll probably be staying over there for that and uh, hoping he'll continue uh, his good form anyway very good indeed. All right, I think we're going to look ahead at this point, and I suppose Tipperary and Kilkenny doing it all over again, but for a very special cause. That's it, Fran. Yeah, next Sunday at 2pm in Semple Stadium, it's uh, Tip against Kilkenny. This is the uh, Senior Hurling Challenge match. It's in aid of the uh, Dylan Quirk Foundation, and as you said, yeah, it should be a very special occasion, and I'd say they're expecting a, a big crowd there, and all, all tickets um, can be purchased online. I'm not sure if you can purchase them there at the day. I'm sure they'll, uh, they'll probably have mm. something there, but uh, yeah, tickets can be purchased online, and Tip against Kilkenny again and uh, yeah very special occasion lots happening at it as well um, at half time they're holding a kind of a long puck competition they had it I'm not sure if you've seen it friend, uh, kind of county wide all the clubs mm. kind of came together uh, to do a, a long puck competition and where you kind of put a tenner in to enter and uh, whoever wins in your club goes forward to a uh, the a kind of a county long puck competition that was actually held on Saturday um, in uh, Clonalty Rossmore GA Club. Um, I was in it myself, friend, but unfortunately I, I, I couldn't get the victory. Instead, it was Darren Mooney, former Tipperary goalkeeper. Uh, he had the longest puck on the day, and uh, Cahill Dillon of Aherlow had the second longest puck. So they'll be representing Tip now on Sunday. So it's going to be at half time of the Tipperary Kilkenny match. Very it's good. Be two, what what uh, kind of distance would they do, Paul? Now, I don't know, was it yards or metres? Now, mm. I probably should know, but it was uh, it was 100 and... What did Darmuni hit it? 100 mm. and... Oh, I think it was 107 yards, right. I think, or something wow. like that. Wow. Um, so, yeah, just uh, <laughs> serious strikers of the ball there. But right. So the, the, the two tip lads uh, will be taking on two Kilkenny lads at halftime in Semple Stadium on Sunday um, in, in a long puck competition right. um, in, in aid of the Dylan Cork Foundation. So it should be a, an, an entertaining day next Sunday. Right, but the game itself should be very interesting considering what went down at the weekend. You know? That's it, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. There'll be a bit of a, a crossover, I'm sure. I would imagine. Uh, to Camogie then, and uh, the Tipperary Camogie team, they're back. Yeah, and just before that, friend, the Tip footballers are, are back in action. They had a weekend off this weekend, so they're back playing at Antrim next Saturday evening at 6 o'clock in Semple Stadium. That, that will be live here on Tip FM. Um, it's a, a massive game for a Tip. They've lost their mm. first two uh, league games and uh, Antrim have also lost their first two league games so this is kind of a, a, a massive uh, task for, for David Power or not, not a massive task but a massive game for David Power's side but yeah as you mentioned there the Tip Camogie they're back their league starts uh, next weekend it's on a Saturday at 2pm 
in the rag. It's tip against Galway in the opening round of the league. And it's the first time we kind of get a look at new manager, uh, Dennis Kelly. Of course, he would have mm. been involved as a coach there with Tipperary for the last couple of years. But he's uh, the new manager there now. And also, in just kind of news kind of breaking this morning, friend, the uh, Tipperary Camogie have uh, extended their partnership with Alpha Drives, their sponsor. Um, so instead of just sponsoring their, their adult teams, they're going to sponsor all the uh, intercounty oh, um, and underage development camogie squad. So it's the first time in uh, Tip Camogie that that's ever happened. And uh, it's just great to see um, them, them kind of nail down a sponsor, which, which is very important. Isn't it? Excellent indeed. To ladies football then? Yeah, ladies footballers, Fran, as we mentioned there um, last week or the week before, they're on a great run of form. They've won all three of their league games so far and they've another one uh, next Sunday. It's at 2pm in Feathertown Park and they're taking on Leash. So they're looking to make it four wins from four and it's another game in Feathertown Park. Their first three games have been there so they're getting well used to uh, that surface there in Feathertown Park. Hopefully they can continue their winning ways. What have we to look forward uh, to with rugby, Paul? Yeah, so we had a weekend off with the rugby uh, this weekend, I suppose. Uh, let everyone watch uh, Ireland versus France in mm. terms of local rugby. They had the weekend off. And uh, yeah, it's back next weekend. So next Saturday, the usual times, half past two. Cashel are at home to Dolphin. Nina Ormond at home to Old Crescent. And uh, Clonmel are at home to Ballina. And uh, also Munster are playing this week. They're playing Friday evening at half past seven. And they're playing the Ospreys inside in Thoman Park. Very good. That Irish game was great, wasn't it? Brilliant, yeah. I was in. I couldn't believe the the pace of it in mm. the first half. I I was out of breath watching it. Like you know, the, the <laughs> pace, the size of the lads running into Incredible. each other like that. Incredible. And I, I know that high tackle has been uh, talked about. Now it definitely should have been a red card. But yeah. like your man is one hundred and forty five kg. Like know, it's yeah. crazy. Like you God know, almighty. In soccer, what are we to look to? Uh, soccer next weekend the big fixtures are the Munster Junior Cup fifth round so this is the last 16 we've two Tipperary teams uh, still in the competition uh, Thurlaside Peak Villa and uh, Nina are also uh, in the last 16 so Peak Villa are away to Corkside Springfield that's on Sunday at 3pm and on Sunday at 2pm and Nina AFC are away to Avondale United Very good Is horse racing happening Paul? Yeah, we have horse racing, Fran, on Thursday. It's in Clonmel this time, and a seven-race card takes place in Powerstown Park on Thursday at 20 to 2. And uh, the, there's a grade three race on the card on Thursday. It's the uh, Shore Hall Mercedes-Benz Novice Hurdle. So that's the uh, featured race of the day uh, in Clonmel on Thursday. All right, great to talk to you as always, Paul. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you. Good morning Thanks, to Fran. you. That's our sports editor, Paul Carroll, speaking to me from our Nina studio this morning. 1800 The text and WhatsApp is 83 Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Today is International Epilepsy Day 2023 in Epilepsy. Uh, Ireland wants to make seizure first aid general knowledge among the public. But let's find out about uh, the condition because Melissa Ryan is living with epilepsy and she uh, joins me now. Melissa, good morning to you. Hi, good morning. Uh, great to talk to you, Melissa. How long have oh, you, you lived too. with uh, epilepsy? Uh, I've had epilepsy for nine years now. I was diagnosed when I was 10 years old. And can you tell me about that diagnosis? I mean, how did you first notice that you had uh, issues, Melissa? Um, well, I was 
I was having them at night, my first seizures. So I'd wake up in the morning and I would have, like, wet the bed or I would have gotten sick. And, like, this was very unusual. So we knew something was wrong. Mm. Um, And we went to the hospital and I had a few scans, but nothing was showing up in the scans. Uh, But then luckily one day, I say luckily, it's not good, but Mm. (laughs) I went to the hospital and I actually had a a bad tonic-clonic seizure right there in the middle of the hospital. I'm sure I couldn't have picked a better place or time. Or, of course, so yeah. The doctors got to see the seizure and I was diagnosed with epilepsy not long after. And just tell me again what you called that seizure that, that happened to you in the hospital? Uh, a tonic-clonic. So that's like the one where you fall to the ground and you're shaking. Okay. And was that the first time you had that experience? Uh, yeah, I think that was one of the first times I'd had that kind of seizure. Right, because normally it was during the night, as as you said. Uh, that, yeah. Th- that sounds extremely frightening, Melissa, but did you know what was going on? No, that's the one thing about the seizures that I like. I don't remember them, because so, it would be very scary to be in that moment. I'm mm. the only one who doesn't remember it. Right. Now, you were only 10, I think, was it? At yeah, that, at 10. At that point, yeah. So what did it mean to you to be told that you were epileptic? Well, when they told me, I didn't really know what epilepsy was. None of us knew much about it. It was scary and it was confusing. And I was kind of like, well, what happens now? Mm. What, what does this mean? So it did change a lot, not just for me, but for my family. There was lots of things that I wasn't able to do anymore. Like, I was only 10, but I was told I couldn't swim, I couldn't ride a bike, I couldn't run. I couldn't do any of those things anymore. And how did that affect you to know that you were so limited in what you could do? Oh, well, I was very upset, and especially in school. Like, my friends were only 10. They kept, they kept going with what they did every day. We used to play outside, and I used to have to sit with the teachers and watch them play. Mm. And so how, it was how, very upsetting. How did that make you feel? You were very upset, I'm sure. Yeah, I was, yeah. Um, epilepsy, it seems to me, from the little I've read on it, Melissa, it seems to be a very individual condition. I mean, for instance, you have it in three parts of your brain, I think. Is that right? Yes, I do, yeah. We found that out only a few years ago. It's it's different for every person. Yes. Epilepsy, lots of people can have it, but you you won't have the same story as anyone else. Right. Your story will be completely different. And are you on a lot of medication, for example? Yes, I take a lot of medications twice a day, every day. Right. And do you still have seizures? I do. I still have seizures. I was told a few years ago that medication like uh, medication, won't solve it for me. My body, it doesn't really work with it. So I still take them. And I was put on this new tablet that is made, it's um, just for people that medication doesn't work for. Mm. So I find that has definitely been helping a bit. If it, It's not making the seizures go completely away, but I find it has helped a bit anyway. And what about this notion that we need to people make people more, you know, knowledgeable, I suppose, about seizures and about what they should do if they come across somebody in a seizure? Do you think that's a good thing, Melissa? Yeah, I think people should definitely know what to do because you, lots of people think it's a rare condition, but there are over 45,000 people in Ireland living with epilepsy. So it's quite simple, actually, to, ner- to learn what to do. You just mm-hmm. need to remember these three words, 
time, safe and stay. Mm. Can, so you, you, need to can time you explain those a little bit more for me? Yeah, yes. of course. Mm-hmm. So you time the seizure. If it gets over five minutes, that's when you need to give someone their recovery meds or if not, call an ambulance. You need to keep them safe. If they're on the floor, make sure their head is, you have a cushion or something underneath their head. And stay with the person while they're having the seizure and after, because after, they they won't remember what has happened. They'll be confused. They might be a bit upset. So you just need to remember time, safe, stay. All right. I remember years ago that people would attempt to stop somebody's tongue from going back in their, their throat. That seems to be not the way to deal with seizures anymore, is it? No, they used to put a spoon in your mouth. Yes, yeah, or a lollipop yeah. stick or something like that, yeah? No, no, I would not do that at all. You, you don't really go near the person much, don't restrain the person. And if you put the spoon in, the, in their mouth, really all you're going to do maybe is break their teeth. Like right. You, right. Do, do not put the spoon in their mouth. Right, so time, safe and stay. That's, that's yeah. the, the message from Epilepsy Ireland. Um, you're, you're 19, I think, now, is, is that right, Melissa? Yeah, I yeah. am. So what is it like for a 19-year-old with this condition? Because, you know, it's the time of your life uh, at yeah. 18 and 19 for most people. How does it hold you back or does it hold you back? It holds me back a little bit, but I still live just just as much as uh, any other 19-year-old would. There's, like, I I did my leaving search. I, I did well. And I am now, I have a job in a creche and I'm going to be doing an online childcare course soon. So mm-hmm. I'm still doing all of that. I still get to go out with my friends, do other things. I just have to, I always have to make sure that someone who knows how to help me during a seizure is near. I need to stay near my parents or... Um, there's times then where I'll have a seizure and that's when it holds me back. I have to I'll be at home, be in bed. That's mm. when it's... Right. But you, you, your friends, those around you, they're aware of your condition and, and how to help you properly. Is that it? Oh, yeah. My friends are great. Like They're, they're well used to it by now. They know they yes. could help me with their eyes closed now. Uh, very good indeed. And, and what about driving or something like that, Melissa? Yeah, someone with epilepsy can't drive. Uh, you have to go one year without a seizure until you can start, like, your driving lessons. Right. And have you managed that yet? Uh, no, no. The longest I've ever gone is about a month. All right. Okay. And the seizures you're, you're having now, is that mostly nighttime ones as well? No, that's stopped. And now they're, they're all any time during the day. Mm. And lots of different... I have a different range of seizures. Like, I have the tonic-clonic ones... Or I could just have an absent seizure where I'll stare at the wall for a few minutes, and they could last. It could last a few seconds, or it could last a few minutes. They're all different. Right, uh, and you're never aware of them afterwards. Is that it? No, never remember Isn't them, them afterwards. Yeah. And you could even um, forget a little bit of time before the seizure. Right. And is there a trigger along the way, Melissa? I mean, does noise or light or anything like that? Does yeah. Um, Everyone has different triggers. For me, my main triggers are being overtired mm. or being very stressed. Right. They would be my main stri- triggers. Right. So you have to be careful with yourself, I guess. Yeah, I do. I have to make sure I go to bed early. And School was hard. I was having a lot of seizures during the time, like around school, because I was stressed. Right. And but we found a way to, to work as started 
uh, going to a counsellor and she helped a lot. Right, so that was helpful to you as as a young girl, as that is, uh, yeah. as a 10 or 11 year old, yeah. It's, and to somebody listening who might have recently discovered that they have the condition or to parents who have children with the condition, what, what would you say to them, Melissa? What would your advice be? Um, that's, my advice would be, that is the worst time, I think, at the start being diagnosed. You're confused right now, you're scared. And that's okay. I think it's okay to be upset, to be scared. Life still goes on. Like, I wouldn't be... I wouldn't hold back. I'd let people know. Don't hide it. There's nothing to be ashamed of. And don't be afraid to ask for help. Mm. When I was diagnosed, I well, my mother really asked for help. Um, Epilepsy Ireland were amazing. My school, my teachers, they all went off and got trained in what to do. I had an SNA. My principal was brilliant. My friends. I would ask for help. Yes. When you need it, I think that is and and because the main because you mentioned there, you know, don't be ashamed of it. Were you ashamed of it at one point? Well, I was young when I was um, diagnosed, so I didn't really have the choice to say if I was going to tell people or not. Yes. My mother told people, and so I've grown up with everyone knowing, and I've been perfectly fine with that. I wasn't ashamed at all. I've often had a seizure out on the street or in a shop maybe or whatever. And I'm not afraid that people see it. I'm not afraid of that. Right. But again, just to make it clear to people that Epilepsy Ireland, they want to make seizure first aid, general knowledge, and the summation of that is time, safe, and stay. And uh, yeah. that, that's the main thing. Stay with the person. That's that's vitally important, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Melissa, we wish you well. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye to you now. That's Melissa Bye. Ryan there. Today is International Epilepsy Day. Now, Bonnie Hayes is a great friend of the show and he began his amateur career with Clark Jordan Drama Group back in 1972 and he joins me now. Bonnie, good morning to you. Morning, Brian. How are you keeping? I'm very well indeed. Lovely to talk to you today. I think, was it 50 consecutive plays, Bonnie? Yeah, yeah. Just finished the 50th, Brian, yeah. Finished, yeah. And that was separate beds, I think. That was the most recent one, wasn't it? That's correct, Brian. Yeah, we finished that run on the 4th of February. Yeah. But we have one more performance of that coming up. Uh, we were approached by the local GA club here. Yes. They're one McDonald's, and they have a great connection with Clonauty Rossmore. So we were asked, would we do uh, a performance for the Linkford Foundation? So we had some members away on holidays, but they're all back now. So um, we're going back into rehearsals and that goes on on Thursday the 23rd of February, I think. Very good. And tickets that, available for that? Yeah, I think there's a phone line and I open on Monday next. Okay. Um, right. Six to nine. I don't have the number to hand. No, no, no problem. We, we'll put that out anyway, Bonnie. But yeah. um, you, you, I mean, I know you've had full houses so far, so that's going to sell out very quickly, isn't it? Oh, it will, absolutely, yeah. It will it'll be gone in a matter of an hour or two, I think. Right. Did yeah. it, did um, COVID stop uh, performances for a little bit? It did to an extent, Fran, but um, we have a local man here, a professional actor, Martin Maguire, and he has written a play uh, regarding Thomas MacDonald's involvement in 1916. He called it Taking the Biscuit, his mm. occupation of um, Jacob's Biscuit Factory. Mm. And uh, a few of us got a part in that. That was recorded in the source in Turles. Mm. 
And then we came um, after that. Madrini Ambush came on on board, and the drama group were asked to do a few clips for that for the presentation. So we organised that and had a, had a bit of great fun shooting shooting that as well. Very good, so but, was, but that kept up the production so that you had one every year. Yeah, we had something going on every year, Fran. Yeah, we had something going on every year, yeah. Isn't that yeah. fantastic? Yeah. Right. Um, I hear that, I mean, you're very much instrumental in, in, in what they do. I mean, not only on the stage, but over the years, Bonnie, you've been sort of part of the administration as well and all of that. Uh, yeah, I was chairman on a few occasions. Um, yeah, yeah. Been involved backstage as well and look after a few other things as well. Making the tea for them sometimes and everything. No. That's great. Yeah. Did you find a piece from The Guardian lately that is informing you that there will be a hundred years of drama in Clock Jordan this year? Yeah, our director, Seamus Coslow, was telling me now I didn't see the piece, but Seamus told me he was researching there. And I remember we had gone back to, we had found something back to 1929, but now he has gone back to 1923 and found something from there. But it's amazing, Fran, pieces that I have seen, some of the same names keep cropping up, some of the same surnames, like Coslo, Shepherd, Williams, and those names are still involved with us today, and they are from the same families. Isn't that know. incredible? Yeah. Mm. yeah. Hundreds, hundreds years later, yeah. So a lot of the same, yeah. fa- same families. Uh, the play you began with in 72, one of my all-time favourites, that's Juno and the Paycock. Oh, absolutely, friend. Yeah. I love it. We, we staged that three times, actually, and the last time was in 2016. Yeah. And I love that play. I love the O'Casey play. We were, we would have staged the trilogy, as we call it, uh, June on the Paycock, Clown the Stars, and the Shadow of a Gunman. But Juno, it's an absolute brilliant. And when I think of O'Casey, a man who finished his schooling days at 14 years of age and worked on building sites, and what he could write... Was he was an incredible man? Just incredible, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I love the I love the part of Joxer. It's it's just yeah. I done I done Joxer on one occasion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, when you look back over there, I mean, there's Juno. But what what else stands out for you as as you know favorite plays, Bonnie? Um, it's strange when I was looking, just thinking to myself this morning, and I suppose the author we used most in our time, and I was surprised to come up with this, was Bernard Farrell. We did an awful lot of his plays. Right. And one of his plays stands out to me, and that's a play called Kevin's Bed. I can't think of the year. I think about 2005 we staged it. Uh, A very good play. Martin McDonough's, um, we did The Beauty Queen of Lenin, and we did A Cripple of Man. I love The Cripple of Man. I think we'd done that just maybe five or six years ago. So did you do two out of the trilogy, or did you do all of them? Did you? We did O'Casey Trilogy. We did three yeah. old O'Casey Trilogy and The Shadow of a Gunman as yes. well. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. Town of the Stars is a... I've never seen it done by an amateur group. Um, it's a four-act play with four different sets. So yes. I think in 1994 we staged that and that was a huge, that was a huge effort. That was a huge effort, but great, a great play too. Yeah, and uh, what about uh, the new people coming up and younger people being involved? Are there as many as there used to be, Bonnie? God, it's amazing, friend. We are very lucky. We have uh, an amount of young people involved here. Um, you take the lighting and the sound effects this year, we have two 14-year-olds looking after that. And, you know, they're, they're so good. I mean, they pick up the modern technology so quickly. Yes. Um, yeah. They come in there, they can do it by phone sometimes or they do it with the equipment we have. But, my God, yes, it's their, it's their age. You know, their technology, they, they, they pick it up. They take it like a duck to water. 
And do you know, we see such confidence among younger people as well. Is that different to your day when you started out that, you know, people mightn't have been as confident back then? Oh, indeed, Fran. I, I, I can tell you, when I started, as I said, in June on the pick-up, you got a part that maybe had two or three lines in it, and you were glad to be. We have people this year, we have a guy this year, Alan Quinlan, who's only in his second production, and he's the, he's the main part in the play. He's, he's in it from start to finish. Isn't it great, isn't it? Oh, my God, it's incredible. Yeah, the, nothing faces them now. Nothing faces them. Yeah. What, I'd, I'd love to have a go at it sometime, but what would kill me would be remembering words, Bonnie. How, how do you manage to do that? Well, friend, some people, the younger, again, we go back and we talk to the younger people. A lot of, we, okay, we read maybe a few nights a week and yeah. that's what goes on. You go home there and you learn it. Some of them record it. Okay. And they put it on their phone and they play it in the car while they're going to work or something. I I tried that. I couldn't uh, I couldn't make a hand of it at all. Mm. I just have to read it and read it and read it. I just read the script. That's how I learn lines, Frank. Right. I'm, so, I'm a slow learner, I have to say. I must say. But it takes yeah. that takes a lot of your time. People say you know you're rehearsing two or three nights a week and it goes to four nights a week sometimes, but. It's when you're at home you have to learn to play. You don't learn to play while you're at rehearsals. You learn to play at home, you know. Of course you do. You mentioned Martin yeah. McDonough there, and of course we all hear about the success of the uh, the Banshees yeah. and and all of that. Yeah. yeah. Um. Do, do you, you love his work as well? I guess. Yeah, as I said, um, I did. I took a part with Johnny Patine, Mike in in the Cripple Finish Cripple. Man, yeah. and uh, great I, part, I great part, Bonnie. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. I loved it, and I remember I was over with my son over in London number of years ago and he bought tickets to go see you down in the West End. Mm. Um, Pat Short was playing that part actually. Was he? Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And uh, the the cripple was played by oh that guy in Harry Potter. What do you call him? Oh, young, oh, young chap. Yes, I yeah. know who you're talking about. Uh, uh, the glasses, yeah. Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah, it? the very fella. The very yeah. fella. Yep. Uh, he was on that. So it was an incredible production. It was uh, an experience to see it, you know. Yeah, experience. Pat Pat spoke to me about that a couple of times. He said it was just incredible, uh, just an incredible oh, production. Yeah, oh, it was an incredible production, Franny. It was an experience to see it. Yeah, it's, it's great. Do you, do you find as the years go on, Bonnie, that you know parts become available to you that wouldn't when you were younger, and are they often better parts? In fact, well, as Franny said that, friend, we were inside one night and the makeup girls. Uh, Alan was beside me. Alan is the young chap, and the makeup ladies were making Alan older and they're trying to make me younger looking. <laughs> 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 I had to take the lines out of me and put lines on to Alan, you know? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Do, you, do you ever think back and say you'd love to have done it professionally, Bonnie? Um, I, don't, I don't think so, Fran. While I love and I love every minute of it, and I love the stage, I love the company. I love to crack. We have great crack rehearsing. You know, someone makes a mistake in a rehearsal and the whole place bursts out laughing, yes. you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, no, but as regards, I don't think so, friend. It's very insecure, isn't it? It's a, it's a, it's a tough life. Yeah, you spend a lot of time resting, I'm, I'm told, as they call it. But uh, amateur dramatics now, I mean, you're compared with the best of the best. I mean, you have to come up with the goods all of the time, Bonnie. Yeah, friend. Like, not, not singing our praises here, but Clark Jordan has been at it a long time now here. And when people, um, I, I always say to the lads, when you take money off people on the door, you're forming a contract with them and you, you have to deliver, you know. Yeah. You you can't throw out any old rubbish and that won't be accepted nowadays. You, it, it won't last anyway. So I think we've proven that over the test of time, you know. 
Yeah. So we we make we make a huge effort, and Seamus, our director, will 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 remind us of that every every so often. You know, there's so much expected from us, and you must deliver. You know, and it's when you take a part, when you take on a part in the play, you take on a responsibility that that is your responsibility that you will turn up most nights. I mean, we had an awful issue this year with flus. I think we only got mm. the full cast together maybe five weeks before we went on stage because genuinely people fell with the flu. One, we're missing one some nights, two other nights. But they they came back and when we had five weeks to go, they really worked really hard on it. And yeah, after two nights, I think the other four nights were sold out you know, straight away. That's great, isn't it? We were talking about O'Casey there and somebody saying, did you ever do the silver tassie? No. No, yeah, it's, it's a very it's, complex piece, isn't it? It is. Uh, I've, yeah. I haven't read it all. I've read some of it, friend. It is, yeah. Yeah. Is it, it, is. Is it the first yeah. war? It's about the first world war, I think. Is it? I, I see it, frankly. Yeah. 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 But, but uh, yeah. Um, so, just to remind people again, fe- uh, February twenty third. That's a Thursday, isn't it? That's a Thursday, friend. Yeah. That's very right. nice. Was available for our cast, and uh, as I said, the GA club are looking after. They're looking after the book and everything else. We're just getting on the night, and we'll. Uh, Go up on stage and do one more performance of separate beds and mm. hope they enjoy. most people have enjoyed it. It's a lesson in the start of it. It's a classical type of thing, which sometimes it wouldn't be my favourite play, but the thing about farce is sometimes to get very repetitive during the night as the play goes on. Yes. The same thing, but it doesn't in this case. And there's a nice little twist at the end of it. You know, so very, it's, very it's good uh, well, it's funny and there's a, there's a story in it as well. I'm, I'm just thinking as well about, you know, the 50 consecutive uh, plays and all of that, Bonnie. You spoke to me before about your your heart bypass. Did you did you do a production on the same year as you had the, the bypass? I did, Fran, yeah. It was, um, yeah, I had surgery in November and the production would be going on in February. But I remember well, it was a play called The Factory Girls by Frank McGuinness. Yes, and uh, there was only two guys in it, I think five or six women, but they, they got together and uh, unknown to Frank McGuinness, they wrote a few lines into it <laughs> and included an extra character in it. And um, I got a, I got a small piece in that as well. Ah, brilliant. Many more years of uh, dramatic productions Oh, I don't know you, about that, friend. I don't uh, know about that. I have to make a call on this now when the dust settles and see uh, what happens. Uh. There'll, be, there'll be no call. You won't be allowed to make that call. <laughs> Bonnie, you look after yourself. It's always good to talk to you, my friend. Thank and you. And thanks a million, friend. Thank, Thank you, you very you. much. Bye-bye, you know. It's a great Bonnie Hayes speaking to us from Clock Jordan today. That's it for me. Just before I go, can I once again acknowledge the people um, who have gotten on to us this morning to say congratulations about the show in Brewbaroo on Saturday night. It was just fantastic and Gay Brazel was fantastic and Michael Collins and uh, Muriel and, of course, Johnny Luby was just amazing. So thank you for all the kind words about that. That's it. Emma produced. Ali looks after her content. Stephen is on the well. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie